Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes Everyone out there in Geek Vibes Nation, this is your pal Dana Alps here with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, the show when normally me and my co-host Christopher Brother Ray Patton break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews from the last week. Uh, we got a different show today. This is my uh, one of my favorite shows to do. We added some categories, but we gave me, me, me and Chris decided that you know we should. Enjoy the Christmas holidays with our family and friends and resting and mistletoe if, if you're lucky and, and tinsel and fucking holly and all that shit. So we had fun this weekend, but we were definitely going to get a show uh, since it's probably going to be hard to do one this weekend. We'll try to get one out, but it is the holidays. We had to get our best of show and uh, we got a lot of categories. We're going to be going through, uh, we got, you know, uh, top five biggest or best moments, top five worst moments, which will be a lot of fun to talk about, uh, the top ten matches of the year, top ten tag teams, uh, male single uh, wrestler of the year, female single wrestler, and then overall single wrestler, and we'll just have a, a fun time cutting up about some of this stuff and possibly disagreeing and maybe at the end of it we'll want to burn each other's house down i don't know chris uh what what do you think very excited for this show it's always one of the most fun shows of the year uh excited for some of the new categories like worst of the year <laughs> that, that one should be fun to talk about but uh yeah it's been it's been crazy over here how was uh how was your christmas holiday it was great Christmas Eve. I spent over at my sister's house, my brother, uh, getting trashed with uh, them and, and, and her fiance, um, and just you know waking up the next morning and watching my niece uh, go and open her presents and seeing that wonderful glee in her eye, and then realizing how much it sucks to probably be a parent with her saying stuff like, "I wanted a Barbie after she got like you know." A, a fucking Jeep and a bicycle and a bunch of other stuff, but it was it was a lot of fun. And then Christmas night, um, I don't remember what I did. I think I just you know hung out at the house and uh, and drank. There's a lot of whiskey involved for some reason. Tis the season, man. <laughs> gotta, tis, gotta get... tis the season to drink stronger. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know whiskey. It's cold outside. Got to got to warm yourself up somehow. Yep, absolutely. Well, I, I guess let's get right into this. And since you brought it up, we'll go in reverse because we're madmen. Uh, we're going to go over our top five worst and then our, our best moments uh, of the year. And uh, we can go just, just singles with this since there are only five of them. But, you know, I mean, out of all the wonderful things to choose from, I just want to shout out to a couple things for worst. Um, the Who Shot JR gimmick that happened on Impact. Big fuck you. Uh, Lana and Lashley and all that wonderful stuff that ended up with Rusev actually leaving uh, when he got furloughed. Awesome, great stuff. Um, uh, Lana versus the table. That that had nothing. Uh, 
and the arcade feud that's continuing right now as part of AEW Dynamite between the best friends, Rusev, and that British uh, chap. I don't remember his name. Um, but the number five for me, officially, Chris, is going to be the formation of Retribution. And everything and all the segments of throwing fucking pipe bombs at fucking, uh, you know, uh, heating units on the roof to uh, trying to be kind of, I guess, Antifa-esque, if you will, and then going for a Road Warriors on crack gimmick and the completely waste of, of wonderful wrestlers uh, that, that are part of them, like mostly Donovic, uh, Dijakovic, and uh, Mia Yim. Uh, definitely come to mind. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that that whole thing, wasting Ali, wasting all of them, and it's still going on, and now Ricochet is losing to every member. So I just want to say a big fuck you and thank you to whoever came out with Retribution. It premiered the same night as another wonderful thing, WWE Underground. Good shit. What do you think for your five? <laughs> well, honorable mentions, I had, uh, I had the... Let's see, what was it? A lot of the Dexter Loomis stuff I couldn't put all in one category, so I just have a lot of honorable mentions for that, including the blindfold match with Cameron Grimes. Oh. Um, Retribution, uh, I for them, there's a lot of stuff. Obviously, they did make my list, but a little further up. But uh, one of the big glaring ones that stood out to me as I started to watch Impact again this year was pretty much all of the House of Hardcore reality segments. So that is my number five. It was awful. Um, I know they were trying to do something different and fun and wanted to do something with Tommy Dreamer and some of the people they didn't necessarily have anything to do with at that point in time, but it was awful. And I tried to give it time to flesh out, but it just never got any better, man. And then uh, they killed it. So at least they took the time to realize that it was bad. They literally had Rosemary, a demon, fall in love with Johnny Bravo, although it was all deceitful because she wanted to sacrifice him to get her father back or her grandfather. Her grandfather is apparently Kevin Sullivan, her father, James Mitchell. Um, So all those elements added into it with the whole thing and then ending with who shot Johnny Bravo with Tommy Dreamer just trying to, I guess, have some comedic... I think he wanted to be in a comedy movie. That's what it seems with the Edge and Christian show in this. And uh, that was his resume. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was terrible. So we ended up with the same number five, or that was your... What was your number five? No, that was so. my honorable mention was the shooting thing. Mine was Retribution, the whole okay. fucking thing. Yeah. But uh, my number four is actually something that you kind of talked about in your honorable mention. One of the things, the whole entire zombie match that happened at Halloween Havoc. What the fuck was that? Uh, why did Thriller start in the middle of the goddamn arena? And, uh, you know, I, I just don't know. I'm still bewildered by that whole entire thing. Now, they would end up having a decent strap match, I think. Um, but that's about it for that whole entire feud. It was terrible and brought down both Cameron Grimes and whatever the hell, uh, Dexter Loomis. So good job. That was a that seemed like WWE writers helping out with NXT all over it. Yeah, it was. It's it's very bad. I do have, like I said, I have. I think I have that one higher up on my list of shit I hate. But for my number four, I have Jericho and MJF singing uh, "Me and My Shadow" on Dynamite. That was god awful. 
that you'll see that in my list. It made it a little bit higher for me. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was um, just so off-putting in what is supposed to be a very serious angle with the inner circle and MJF and MJF trying to join the inner circle. And man, it felt Chikara-esque and very out of place on for what, for the most part, is a very serious wrestling show. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of my least favorite things of the year at number four. Well, my number three uh, has to go with a storyline that started off terrible, added elements that made it better, uh, then went to this fucking degree, and then afterwards there was a little bit of redeeming qualities in some of the matches set up and some of the stuff that happened afterwards, but I don't want to ever see Rey Mysterio Jr. and Seth Rollins in a fucking feud together because my number three is the Rey Mysterio loses an eye, the eye for an eye match with Seth Rollins, which if you look at the fucking in-ring work, weird, they actually had a good match, but it literally ended up with what looked like a fucking ping pong ball falling from Rey's face. It was one of the dumbest things. He wore a patch, and the eye, they let us know everything was fine with it the next fucking night on Raw, but uh, it was garbage, and uh, the only good thing to come out of this is that I guess Buddy Murphy got a rub from it somehow, uh, and also Dominic to an extent, but did not help Ray or Seth, and Seth didn't even start looking like a good heel until the end of it. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, I have to agree with you. It was very, very bad. I should have had that on my honorable mentions, but I think I blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a weird one, man. Honestly, I uh, can't believe they, they went that route, but, you know, that's sometimes that's how that happens. Um, I have, for my number three, I, I just have retribution in general for all the reasons that you mentioned. The fact that this thing is still going on is still awful. Um, T-Bar may be the worst name in the history of wrestling, and there's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> um, Mustafa Ali coming back, you thought maybe they were going to do something bigger or there would be some kind of big name to really carry that group, and so far it's just been like, we're going to beat up on Ricochet, and Ricochet has already lost to pretty much everyone on the roster, so it doesn't mean anything at all. Um, out of things they should have killed along with their Raw Underground, this is one of them. Gonna have to completely agree with you. And uh, glad Ricochet got to cut a fire promo on the after show uh, last week that they actually showed on Raw last night, so I was happy for that. But, uh, oh, this is just doing great for his career. Just doing is, this, is this the one where he cried? <laughs> yeah, because I think he was being serious. Like, what the fuck am I doing? How the hell... <laughs> Am I in this shit? I don't know Chris if you're. Puma, damn it! I don't know if you should have your sympathetic baby face crying. So even that part of it still like, my God, come on, guys! How far we have lost our ricochet? All right, well, uh, the next one for me uh, was one that you mentioned earlier, uh, the dinner debonair segment. Um, I'll say that I I had some chuckles with the uh, the Las Vegas segment. They they did some stuff that was funny. But this was fucking terrible. I don't give a fuck what any wrestling fan wants to tell me about how I just don't get it. No, I just understand wrestling and you can fuck off, uh, Mountain. Um, this was this was bad. And seeing how blown up Chris Jericho looked in all of it, um, you know, he just he was fucking red as shit. Uh, it was it was just bad. I, I didn't I didn't get it. 
I'm not supposed to get it, and uh, that's fine. That's fine with me. I'm okay with that. What's your number two? Yeah, for my number two, I have Cameron Grimes um, <laughs> versus Dexter Loomis in the zombie match or whatever the hell it was. Uh, out of all of the cinematography-type matches or film-esque matches we've gotten, this was by far my least favorite, and that does include uh, previous things with The Fiend. This was awful, and... Man, if you were trying to get either of these guys over, this definitely didn't do it for me, and I don't think it did it for most fans. Uh, just ridiculous all around. And then the follow-up to it is him still being scared of a referee who was dressed like a zombie, and it led into really that pan. And led into that blindfold match. And I guess we did finally get the strap match out of it. Was was okay, but was still one of the worst like NXT takeover matches I've ever seen. So that entire thing makes it at number two on my list. All right, my number one, and I thought that maybe I was looking over this, and I was like, no surprise. I'm I'm kind of happy, even though I remember a lot of bad stuff. The Fiend and Bray Wyatt didn't make this list. Oh, never mind. Number one goes to the Swamp Match between Bray Wyatt as old school Bray Wyatt from New Orleans mm. against Braun Strowman, in which I think Braun drowned, or maybe it was Bray. And then he turned into the fiend, and it was fucking awful. It was terrible. There were, I I don't even know, man. I thought that the compound itself burnt down, um, but this was definitely by far the worst thing that I have seen involved with Bray Wyatt. Um, maybe right next to that awful match with Randy Orton with the fucking Viper Dick and the uh, the the crawly crawlers projected on the ring and shit <laughs> fucking stupid that's my number one uh my number one is lana continuously getting put through a table then winning survivor series via count out by crying on, on the ring steps <laughs> god that was terrible i had a, that was definitely part of my honorable mention lana made it twice in my honorable mention that and the wedding fucking thing at the beginning of the year yeah, I would I would definitely have to throw the wedding thing was very terrible in in most of the the fiend stuff I haven't been a huge fan of. I don't think it's the biggest atrocities I've seen in wrestling. It wasn't as that's the, I guess that's he set a bar so high with that Randy Orton match <laughs> years a couple of years ago that it was hard to put him on the lit this list. But uh yeah, that would also be in my honorable mentions. But yes, my number one, Lana getting put through a table like I don't it seems like a hundred times, but I think it was like eight times and then winning survivor series over Shayna, naya and bianca belair by crying on the ring steps and then celebrating like she was Shawn michaels winning the iron man match against bret hart it's fucking ridiculous from start to finish it's amazing all right now that we get that stench out um why don't we uh why don't we go into our top five uh best moments um, I, I wanted to just mention one honorable mention that came to mind, but it's like I couldn't put on the list because of what it was itself and because of, you know, they're limited. The whole entire course of our, our countdowns are going to be changed drastically from what they normally are because of COVID and lack of wrestling organizations actually having matches for a huge part of time and also what was dealt with with the handling of The Undertaker and the retirement of The Undertaker. I want to say that that's one of the best or biggest, I would say, moments. I don't know about it. Best is the is the key term. And he got to go out, I guess, the way he wanted with the Boneyard match, and he was happy with that. 
and retiring the series. But at the same time, it was kind of sad because it could have done a lot more. But I wanted to mention that moment. I don't know if it would be under the best or, but it would definitely be one of the biggest moments this year in wrestling. Would you agree with that, Chris? I would, and I actually do have that on my list. At and I guess okay. I'll kick I'll kick it off because that's actually yeah. my number five specifically was Undertaker riding off on his chopper after beating AJ Styles in the Boneyard match. I thought that was actually to me should have just been the retirement. I know they wanted to do a big ordeal for him, but that's hard to do without any fans. So I kind of just have those two lumped together. But specifically the Boneyard match and him riding off into the uh, the moonlight as Mark Calloway, I thought was a uh, was a cool moment, and especially in retrospect after watching. Again, I wasn't a huge fan of the match the first time I watched it, rewatched it, became kind of more of a fan. And that moment I think will stand out through history. That you know, anytime they talk about the Undertaker, that'll be one of the moments you see is him riding away after just beating the shit out of AJ Styles in, in the club. Yep, I agree. But um, yeah, I, I, so it was weird for me to put it on there, but um, my my number five, that definitely was my honorable mention. Also, I just I also love that series, uh, The Last Ride. I thought it was great. But uh, my number five in actual wrestling um, was the return of the Motor City Machine Guns. We did not know who was going against the Rascals. Uh, all of a sudden, you get the and 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 you know coming through, and Alex Shelley and and uh, you know Chris come in uh, and they fucking have a great match with these young up and comers, a uh, great tag team uh, with uh, man uh, Wentz and uh, what you call it uh, Xavier, um, and then they go on after that to go beat the North after they had the titles for over a year and a half and claim the titles themselves again uh i thought that it was it was just awesome um uh seeing them uh i didn't get a chance to see them live obviously chris is a huge fan of them a bit of a mark if i would say but i watched a lot of their stuff um and i you know i just think that this tag team is awesome and i hope that they have one long stretch now that alex shelley's uh not injured anymore so i i'm looking forward to more with those two uh, awesome wrestlers. Uh, what was your number four, Chris? For number four, I have Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley, the Eddie Kingston Moxley feud. I think specifically the promo right before their match at the pay-per-view was great between those two um, where Moxley's basically talks about Kingston's mother and you get that great emotional segment and pretty much just, a, I guess Eddie Kingston's, uh, Eddie Kingston just showing up in AEW in general. Some of the best stuff last year. So uh, that's what I have at number four for best moments. Eddie Kingston versus Moxley. You know, I didn't necessarily... That was the whole thing. It's Kingston made you want want to win. So the finish of the match, depending on where you fell on Moxley's title run at that point, I guess could make this higher or lower. But I thought in general, their promos against each other's specifically the one leading into their pay-per-view match was one of my favorite moments of 2020. All right. Um, and I agree with you. Kingston is a badass, uh, and he definitely will end up somewhere on one of my other lists. Uh, but my next one is another return. Um, and that was the return of, uh, edge at Royal rumble. Um, I thought that that was just amazing. I felt it in my bones when he came out. I mean, it was kind of rumored, but nothing was confirmed. They did a good job actually, you know, uh, keeping that secret. We knew that something was up when he speared a couple pay-per-views before 
uh, Elias. And we were like, what's up with this? But when he showed up, ripped as hell, ready to go in a Royal Rumble, and was able to go back and forth with people like Drew McIntyre, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, you know, Dolph Ziggler, like, and Randy Orton rekindled that feud. It was pretty fucking special. And like Daniel Bryan was one of those moments where you were just happy to see a wrestler back doing what he wants to do and ending the way he wants to end it. And uh, now he did get an injury, unfortunately, at the greatest match of all time or whatever the fuck. But he will be back, and we will have him, uh, I think, probably by WrestleMania against someone. Most likely it could be Randy Orton again. But uh, that was mine. That probably would have made my list higher if the follow-up wasn't cut so short. One with the yep. first terrible match with Orton and the the follow-up match being a lot better, but kind of falling short. And also, it was just at the beginning of the year, so I kind of completely... It kind of went under my radar when I was making this list, even though at the time I thought the moment itself was pretty great. So that's a good one that I, I don't have on my list. But for number three on my list is one you already touched on, which was the return of Motor City Machine Guns. As a huge Motor City Machine Gun fan, just seeing those guys back as a tag team together and them immediately winning the titles, I thought was a huge moment, especially if you're a Motor City Machine Gun fan. Glad Alex Shelley is healthy, and um, they're one of the reasons that I continue to watch Impact. So that was uh, my number three. And the concept of the fact that, you know, we're, we're going to get Rich Swan and them going against the Good Brothers and Kenny, mostly because I want to see Kenny. Uh, in the ring against both Alex Shelley and Chris Saban. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, definitely have to agree with you. And actually, that kind of ties into my next one. My number three is uh, the formation of Kenny Omega and Don Callis. Um, I'm not going to say that immediately afterwards, and maybe I have to let this marinate for a minute, I was happy where they went because I thought that he didn't take advantage and strike while the iron, the, uh, the iron was hot, if you will. But what happened... It was crazy. It was out of nowhere. And then we have Kenny go from being kind of just a tag team wrestler and a little bit, you know, not living up to what he was to then being the champion of the company, going to Impact. We It's pretty well known we're going to get at least him and Rich Juan for the Impact title. He's already got the AAA title. He's doing the best work on the mic he has since Japan, I think. Um, and Don Callis is a great talking person. Uh, there's only one duo I can think of that's a little bit better than them, but we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, just the prospect of this combining impact working with AEW, how AEW is already working with the NWA and AAA and what this opens up for the industry and also just the way they went about it. Very heelish, got in and out. I liked all of that. Uh, we'll see where that goes. But uh, what was your number three? Or two? Well, I'm yeah, my, num my number two is the return of Sting, which I thought was absolutely incredible. The fact that he was able to simultaneously give everyone a rub as soon as he entered the ring, the snowfall and the 30 degree weather and, or 40 degree weather in Jacksonville, just a real cool moment. And as a Sting fan, knowing how his career kind of ended in WWE, very lackluster with him being taken out in a hospital and or taken out in an ambulance and not really seen from again. This was a great return and a really cool moment, and I look forward to seeing where they're going to go with it. Uh, I know, obviously, it's going to be a huge, long, slow build, but as a massive sting mark, this was a real, real cool 
moment. I mean, something I haven't felt watching wrestling, you know, since like when Undertaker would show back up headed into a mania match or something. It's that say it was that same kind of fielding once Sting finally got into the ring. So that was my number two. Yeah, uh, definitely have to agree with you. Um, my number two was actually the other duo that I was talking about, and it was an uh, episode of SmackDown. Roman Reigns had come back. He made his presence felt. He went on to win the title, uh, coming down, picking his own spot of one to enter the three-way against Braun and The Fiend. And him as a champion, we find out at the end of the episode that he's now a Paul Heyman guy. Uh, and that would lead to some of the best storytelling that's been in the WWE and in wrestling in a long time. Uh, great matches and a great creative team between not really the advocate, uh, more like the peon at this point with the tribal chief, uh, Roman Reigns, and all the work they've been doing since Roman's come back. Uh, just really good stuff. But uh, yeah, that's my uh, number two. What's your number one, good sir? I think our number ones and twos may be flopped here, but my number one was Roman Reigns aligning himself with Paul Heyman and becoming the tribal chief for all of the reasons you just stated. I think it's easily the best storyline going in wrestling. It's the reason that SmackDown is now doing better than Raw. It's uh, definitely the most entertaining thing on the WWE product and, 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 and one of the most entertaining things in wrestling in general. It's what everyone wanted Roman to do. They wanted him to become heel. Well... He has done a f- absolutely phenomenal job, and watching Paul kind of take a slightly different role than he has in the past with someone like a Brock Lesnar has been incredible to watch. So that is my number one for top five best moments. All right, I think you are absolutely right because my number one is the return of my second favorite wrestler of all time, and I, whenever I say that, that's definitely not an insult. Uh, I just, I, Shawn Michaels, uh, bar none, but Sting was always right the fuck there, there, neck and neck, especially throughout the mid 90s, in which I watched uh, wrestling as a little lad going back and forth. So, yeah, just Sting returning, just hearing Tony Schiavone say it's Sting and the hype for it, the fact that he has a connection with each wrestler in the ring, uh, and how it just came down to him and Darby Allen, the only one who got off his ass and you know, kind of stared him down and just the snow, everything. It was such a quiet moment, but it might had to have been the moment that had me dancing in my room fucking more so than anything else. So I got to put that at number one. But, uh, you know, for everything that's going to be taken away from this year with lack of fans or less with when it comes to AEW and just other stuff that they had to get over, still some pretty amazing moments, I would say. Uh, that are on this list represented. So, uh, good shit and bad shit for the worst stuff. Fuck that. I don't think any of that stuff actually had to do with the pandemic of why it sucked. It just sucked. <laughs> I will say, uh, just because I didn't have any New Japan, I'll throw out two honorable mentions, which would be Naito losing the title to Evil as, as I guess, worst moment, and then him winning it back again, or winning it at Wrestle Kingdom as a best moment. So that was a weird weird one i didn't know how to gauge but um part of that was just because he didn't get his celebration at wrestle kingdom and then right when the company starts back up he dropped the title but so that one fell on both sides of the list for me uh just so you know new japan doesn't feel left out on best moments and and worst moments here 
it sounds lovely, and I have to agree with you. Why don't we go through, uh, because that kind of connects, uh, at least for my honorable mentions, uh, why don't we do top ten breakout next? Because this is a fun category. Who really, even if they've been in the industry for a while, kind of put their name on in wrestling. And, and I, even in this year, with lack of crowds, got over and were doing pretty big things. Um, let's do that next. Sure. I did a top five, though, not a top ten. So if you did ten, oh. I'll let you, let you go to five, and then we'll I'll, I'll pick up there. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's my fault then. Um, I guess I just had too many choices. So I'll do an honorable mentions, but I'll just state that where it's 10. No. <laughs> okay, I'll just do. Evil and Hot Sauce, Tracy Williams, were both on my honorable mentions before I even did the top 10. Uh, definitely had a hot, hot Sauce. When, when Ring of Honor came through, it was him, Gresham, and Jay Lethal that really, I think, you know, did a lot of great stuff within that tournament. Uh, Evil... For all the bad that came with that, hey, man, he took advantage of a, uh, a time period and uh, became champion in it, so uh, kudos to him. I have for 10, Jonathan Gresham, uh, the current Ring of Honor pure champion. I think he's amazing and a modern Dean Malenko in a lot of ways. Um, my 9 is Ilya Dragunov for that match that he had with Walter. My 8 is Raquel Gonzalez, who's put on a huge uh, stamp of approval, I would say, in uh, in NXT in the women's division. A, a division that's pretty fucking, pretty big by itself. Uh, my number seven, MJF, uh, who I'd like to put higher, but just honestly certain things brought him down, but still doing what he can do. And my number six would be Kyle O'Reilly. So apologize about doing the top ten. I guess I was just, just on that Mountain Dew yesterday when I was making this shit. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, all of those are great. Um, the funny thing is, I think the only one that made my list was someone in your honorable mention. So we'll we'll hit that later. But for number five for me, I have Pat McAfee, who's not a full time wrestler, but I think was one of the biggest stars on NXT. So that is who I have at number five. All right, my number five is going to be Mr. Eddie Kingston, who I think uh, just kicked ass uh, with the promo department, his build up. I don't know if the matches kind of sufficed uh, some of the buildup of what he did with his mouth, but as far as being someone that's charismatic, a good heel, uh, able to put stuff over and build himself from someone that a lot of people did not know uh, to being a, a prime superstar on AEW, it's pretty impressive. Have to agree with you there. Um, he's higher on my list, so I'll get to him here in a bit. But for number four, I have Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. I think what he was able to do in that Ring of Honor tournament was incredible. The match he was able to have with Jay Lethal was one of my favorite matches I saw of last year. And for some reason, it didn't make my top ten list. So that's what happens when you make these lists, and there's so much wrestling. But uh, definitely, I think he is a breakout star for them. If used properly, I think he could be a huge deal for Ring of Honor and a company that's changed changed their booking, going for more of a serious route. Delirious is back as the head booker. So it's going to be interesting to see where that company is headed uh, this year, 2021. Agreed. Completely agree. Uh, my number four were a tag team that I think in WWE, where there is an abysmal amount of tag teams, had dealt with stupid fucking promos with the fucking Viking Raiders. 
and still ended up being somehow coming out of it okay, unscathed, and then getting titles on both sides of the spectrum um, and just being charismatic, awesome in the ring, and a lot of fun to work with or to, to watch work, I should say. And that's Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford. So they are my number four. Uh, they bring the swag like nobody can. Don't mean to brag. What a party at. There you go. <laughs> um, for my number three, I have Kyle O'Reilly. Not that Kyle O'Reilly hasn't been a huge part of NXT, but I felt like this year with his feud with Finn Balor and some of the matches that he was able to put on, even going back to the, the ladder match most recently with Pete Dunne, um, in the War Games match, I thought he was a real shining star during that entire feud. So that is my number three as far as a breakout guy goes. I never really saw Kyle O'Reilly as the one guy that could really stand out from Undisputed Error, especially because he was overshadowed by Adam Cole for so long. But at this point, he is a, he's definitely holding it as his own and is one of their bigger stars and, and probably the closest thing to they have have to a pure white meat baby face uh, at this point with a lot of the heel turns they've had. I can agree with that. Uh, my number three is Mr. Pat McAfee. I think that he has been on fire. I like that WWE even admitted they're not going directly back to him. They're going to save him as something like, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the words, um, something important to put on a pay-per-view, basically. Uh, an attraction. That's the best word. So we will see him back. But he makes his present felt whenever he's back. I'd love to see him with even the North American Championship. Give him a fucking title, dude. Like, I'd love to see him even more so. But if they want to use him as an attraction, that's fine. But uh, really impressive start just from a couple matches and a couple promos. Yeah, he's definitely been on fire. And, and that's why he made my list as well. But uh, number two, this one I think is a guy who I actually expected to be skyrocketed even further. But uh, they're doing a lot of cool stuff with him. Put him with Sting. It's Darby Allen. That's who I have at number two. He wins his first title this year. Uh, he's cut good promos. Has had some great matches. Overcame some injuries. I think he can be a huge star for them. Pinning him with Sting. I think there's a lot of cool stuff. As long as they don't fuck it up. Uh, they can make this guy even bigger than he is now. But he's... Since, since the start of last year, he has been someone to continually entertain me and someone that you can definitely tell when there are fans in the building, he is a huge deal. Uh, yeah, I agree with you so much that he's actually my number two as well. Uh, Darby Allen. I think that he's got everything, man. The, the, uh, crossover appeal of him having a little bit of, of, of qualities that we've talked about, like, uh, of Raven and also Vampiro of just being a loner and by himself and more, I don't want to say emo, but like just more gothic in presence, like silenter, but obviously having those comparisons to both Jeff Hardy and sting. Uh, I'd never thought it would be all of a sudden where sting seems like he's trying to take him underneath his wing. And that's exactly where it seems like they're going with him. But the, the, t the matches that he has, I, I have a lot of respect for what he said and stuck up with uh, stuck up for with Jr. I just think that he's got his head on his shoulders. Whenever he executes things that are stuffed to the outside, he puts his whole fucking body into it. And looks like he's trying to kill the person outside. 
Um, I guess I could appreciate that. I just don't want him also to hurt himself. But then again, the stuff that he does in his promo videos seem more vicious towards his body than half the shit he does in the ring. But uh, Darby Allen's awesome. Uh, I just I I, th- I think that he's got a super amount of the potential. And even though his size is small, it's his ferocity, and he's still cut. That 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 makes it believable. Much like kind of like Finn Balor in a lot of ways. Uh, just the way that he hits certain things, uh, drop kicks and stuff like that, just vicious. I think I really do think that he has potential to be one of the big wrestlers in the next couple of years, especially with this rub from Sting. Yeah, I completely agree with you. With so much so that we, like you said, we put that at number two. Uh, my number one is someone you mentioned earlier, and I think. The reason he ended up being my number one is because from watching him in different promotions, I never really got the love for this guy. But Eddie Kingston coming to AEW, being one of the most entertaining things on that show, whether it's him on promos or him in commentary, uh, his match with John Moxley, I thought was very, very, very good in comparison to what I thought it was going to be. Just entertaining all around, became a huge star to the point where I did want to see him take that title from John Moxley. So uh, that's my number one is Eddie Kingston. Definitely a good number one. Mine's kind of weird. I'm going to throw out because I thought about it. For honorable mention, one more female that I should mention uh, that I think that Bianca Belair has not gotten to a certain you know title or anything like that, but has shown that she's going to be one of the premier females uh, even on the main roster, I think she's she's actually someone that's flourishing, unlike certain other people, uh, Keith Lee, that we won't uh, bring up the name of. Um, oh, shit, I think I already did. And also the North, Ethan Page uh, and um, his partner that I can't remember. God damn it. Jonathan Gresham? No, that's that's definitely not it. Oh, my God. It's Alexander. I can't remember his first name. But anyways, they had the titles at Impact for over a year. They put on great matches, and I think that Paige is a great heel. Um, but anyways, getting to my number one, I had to include this guy because he has, for such a long time, tried to climb and become one of the biggest superstars in wrestling. Uh, after watching documentaries, and especially if no one's watched the recent episode that he did with Stone Cold Steve Austin, it is the champion. Uh, the world heavyweight champion, um, the champion on Raw, Drew McIntyre. Uh, talk about all the stuff that was set up against him, not having a crowd to see if they're bouncing off him, uh, and you know, just getting the finally the opportunity, uh, beating Brock Lesnar for the title, and then going against a Big Show back to back. Yeah, he lost to Randy Orton. Then he won the title back. I don't really know what the fuck happened booking-wise there. I'm sure they have no idea what the hell they were doing. Um, But that's part of the course. But I think Drew has shown that, you know, coming from obscurity of being a thing like 3MB, going off on the indies, raging especially over in Europe and the UK, becoming such a big, hot presence in the indies as Drew Galloway, and then going through NXT, showing his in-ring skills improving, having that amazing match with Andrade, uh, and also that match with uh, with uh, what call Bobby Roode, and just building himself uh, since then, uh, dealing with some stupid shit like the Dolph Ziggler stuff. But when it came to this year, winning the Royal Rumble, eliminating fucking Brock Lesnar, beating him for the title, I just think that Drew has gone from. A guy that has a great physique, 
you know, that's 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 somewhat of a brawler to really honing in on uh, this time period where there are a lot of limitations uh, due to the uh, coronavirus. I think that he's done a good job and hand- held it down. And um, I hope to see more from him. You know, I think it was Jim Cornette that said that Magnum T.A. was such a badass because he might not have been the greatest fighter or wrestler per se, but he looked like someone that kicked ass was a badass dude and rode motorcycles. And I think Drew McIntyre kind of shares similarities to that. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to shut up now, but that's my number one. Yep. So that I think that ends it for breakout stars. And I should actually note that Drew McIntyre was on my honorable mentions for all of the reasons you just stated. The only thing that held him off just a little bit for me putting him above someone like a Pat McAfee who was number five or hot sauce, Tracy Williams is that he was kind of a known quantity, I guess. Like, I mean, he is a former NXT champion, so it's more surprising that they haven't fucked him up (laughs) completely. (laughs) (laughs) Like the fact that they've booked him well, uh, I think if there were fans in that building, he could have easily been number one on this list. It's just been a weird year, specifically for someone like him that's on the top show uh, in all of wrestling. You know, being Monday Night Raw, always being the flagship. Yep. No, I definitely agree with you. Um, all right, let's go to top ten matches. This is this is a fun one. And I actually have information on all of them pulled up, but I'm going to say that my honorable mentions. Guys, I could not... I couldn't get myself to put either the stadium stampede or even the AJ undertaker match, the pre-recorded stuff just really worn on me, but they were fun matches. They were, they were great. They were segments. They were, they were awesome. But as much as uh, it pains me, not that I didn't put those on here. It also pains me with pure wrestling. Uh, Like, like we talked about, I realized myself, I don't have hot sauce and Jay lethal. I don't have the finals with hot sauce and John Gresham. Those were incredible matches. Uh, I don't think I didn't put the Rascals versus the Motor City Machine Guns, which is one of the best tag matches this year. So I had to mention all those as honorable mentions. Uh, I'm sure every fucking match with Io Shirai uh, was incredible because they usually always are. And um, yeah, let me just start off by my number five. Uh, I will say, Chris, the best match, real actual wrestling match at WrestleMania this year in both nights. Uh, I didn't like the decision, and that's why it's lower on the list of who won it. But Charlotte Flair against Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship. I just rewatched it not too long ago. Incredible fucking match. These ladies were two badasses. I still think Rhea should have won, but I feel good about putting this at my number 10. Okay, you said five originally, and I was like, oh shit, now I'm the one who did ten, should have done five. (laughs) Um, For my number ten, I have the War Games men's match from NXT TakeOver War Games 2020 on December 6, 2020. I just thought it was a really fun match. The build-up to it was was great. I loved Pete Dunne and and Danny Burch and those guys getting in and mixing up with the Undisputed Era. It was just a lot of fun. Um... I don't think it was the best War Games match, but it was a match I thought was really, really good and one of the better NXT matches from last year. So I had that at number 10. 
Number 10. All right, so uh, I had for my next one uh, from Wrestle Kingdom 14, uh, back at the beginning of, literally at the beginning of uh, this year, 2020, uh, January 5th, their second night, their main events with Kazuchika Okada going against Tetsuya Naito. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That's not the one I was going for. It's night one that I'm actually going for. Uh, the the singles match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Kazuchi Okada going against Kota Bushi. Um, I love the Naito match. Don't get me wrong. But this match with Okada and Kota Bushi, I rewatched it. Someone suggested it on a top ten from the intranets. So I, I remembered that both these matches were great. I ended up liking this one more. Uh, just a fucking amazing match and showing you why Kota Bushi continues to be one of the stars to being pushed to the top over at New Japan, even though he came up short. But, um, yep, Okada versus Ibushi, Wrestle Kingdom, uh, night one. That's a great one that I have a little higher on my list. But for number nine, I'm also going to stay in the realm of New Japan. And this was Minoru Suzuki versus uh, Tomohiro Ishii at G1 Climax, which was everything you would expect a Minoru Suzuki match to be. <laughs> they beat the ever-loving shit out of each other, and if you like New Japan Strong Style, this is a match that you should definitely go check out. It was one of my favorite matches of the entire G1 this year. The G1 did not have the same luster as it's had the past three or four no. years. There, there was good stuff um, across the board. There were some cool turns. Um, there was some good Tanahashi and Okada matches, but I have them, them represented in matches that I thought were better throughout this list. So the only the only match I have from Climax this year, surprisingly, is Suzuki versus uh, Tomohiro Ishii, which is, I think, the first one that I told you to, <laughs> told you yeah. to watch. Uh, it has shades of the Walter Ilya Dragunov style match, if you were super into that, maybe not a New Japan fan i would recommend checking this one out for sure you know it's funny my next one has minoru suzuki but it's not that match even though i thought that was awesome it was actually at new beginning in february february 9th to be exact john moxley versus minoru suzuki uh just a fucking mental you know match of two psychos that both don't give a shit about pain bring it to the limit um just, I think, an awesome match. Uh, but uh, it was those two forces, you know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's it, it just when they set it up, when it looked like it was going in that direction, and then I think that Moxley attacked him at the New Year's uh, th- bash thing after Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, it was like, yeah, let's let's fucking do this, and then they did it, and uh, it ended up being a great match. Uh, what do you think? Oh, sorry. Now, what did you think? What was your next one? <laughs> it was a, that, I thought that was also a super fun match. Um, yeah. I, for Moxley what, won, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, yes, he is still currently champion somehow. Uh, number eight, I had Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly at the NXT TakeOver 31. Uh, very similar to the last match I just talked about. This was a very stiff match in which Finn Balor got his jaw broken in, but an amazing NXT match. One I definitely recommend. Uh, Finn Balor retains the championship. It was 
this is what set Kyle Riley kind of on fire. This feud with him and Finn and probably put him in that breakout list. So, you know, if Finn's there to help uh, help get people to that next level, I think he definitely did with Kyle Riley, and that match was was absolutely incredible. And I want to see them eventually lock horns again at some point because uh, if that first match was that good, I can't imagine what the uh, the follow up is going to be. Hopefully, they don't kill each other. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, all right. So I have something a little bit higher that involves uh, the Young Bucks, but it was hard for me to pick between these two tag matches. Uh, because I love the FTR versus uh, uh, Page and Omega match, but I have to give the slight to uh, Page and Omega uh, beating the Young Bucks uh, at AEW Revolution. I thought the match was awesome. I loved uh, the aspects of Omega kind of almost turning on Page, but they never went there. You know, they really just as soon as he had they had the match with FTR, they lost the titles. Kenny was done with Paige. But before this, there was still like, are they going to turn it on each other? And it kind of played into that next match with FTR. But this match was fucking awesome. The guys knew how to play off each other. Great fucking tag match. Uh, this won't be the first time you see the Young Bucks in my top ten. I have two of the members of, of this match that you were talking about, which was Omega versus Adam Page at AEW Full Gear, um, which was for the number one contendership, if which yep. you know led into led into that title match, but this is kind of the resurgence of what we knew Kitty Omega could be uh, as far as a singles competitor goes. Before this, you had him versus Pentagon, right? The lead up for him, him versus Pentagon, and then following that up with him versus Adam Page. And Adam Page was having a great singles run there as well. This match was the combination of all that, and I think it was my favorite match on that show. If I'm remembering correctly, my, well, never mind, because higher up on this list is uh, the Young Bucks, because I, yeah, that was on the same show. But um, yeah, great match. That whole pay per view, that's easily was the best pay per view that AEW had um, over the past, I would say, throughout 2020. That was my favorite pay per view. Yeah, completely agreed. Um, another fucking great match. Um, that's another one that's like, I, I have to put on my honorable mention. I completely forgot about that match, sadly. Um, next match was not a random match, but I can't believe a match on SmackDown made it on my top ten. But at the end of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament, I believe this was in June, uh, AJ Styles beat Daniel Bryan. Uh, they let them, for some reason, they were like, huh, let, what, what can we do with 40 minutes? Oh, we'll just let AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan beat the shit out of each other for the IC title. And that's exactly what they did. And it was fucking awesome. And AJ won with, after going back and forth the whole entire time, I just rewatched this. Another one that I just rewatched. Pretty much all the ones on my top ten are just rewatched. Um, but at the end of it, a phenomenal forearm, and AJ got the, uh, the win. So, uh, good stuff. But, uh, yeah, something from SmackDown, Chris made my top and it almost made my top five see that's see that sucks because i remember that match being really really good but it did not come to my mind at all 
as we were going through these lists. Um, but that was a great match. So that one, unfortunately, did not make my list. It'll have to fall into into that realm of honorable mentions because it was really great. But uh, for number six, I had Adam Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa at NXT TakeOver Portland, which... Damn, I forgot that one. It's It was a great match. It's exactly what you would expect out of an Adam Cole-Tommaso Ciampa match. It was easily, for me, my favorite show on that Portland card. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just let everyone know i don't have anything from raw or smackdown or any of the wwe paper pay-per-views on this list i have some nxt stuff some japan stuff and some aw stuff coming up but uh man i i really did leave out the wwe this year so apologies for that guys well i'll make up for you because my next match made my top five mostly because of the emotions uh dealing with the circumstance I really, I know that it got long in the middle of it, but I still, the dialogue, just everything, bringing out the other brother. For some reason, Roman Reigns against Jey Uso at Hell in a Cell really resonated well with me. And I thought they told probably the best story. Not not necessarily had the best match, but had the most emotion. I'm looking at my top five. I would say that the tag match I have on here is the only one that actually has this much emotion. Um and I think that that was more important because we didn't have a lot of those matches. In years past, I think that Cody kind of took this part between his match with Nick Aldis at All In or his match with his brother. You know, those were just great stories told in the ring that had a lot of emotion. And for that, I put Roman Reigns against Jey Uso at Hell in a Cell at my number five. That was a great match, and it could have made this list if it was just storytelling. But that it, it like you said, there was just parts of it that were so slow that that if if there was going to be one that made my list, that would have probably been it. Honestly, Dane, just because it it was such a huge moment, and they did a great job of building off of it going forward. But I don't feel too bad because I have Roman. Uh, <laughs> Roman pretty high in some of these other lists. Uh, let's see, my number five. This one, this one, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't make a lot of people's lists, but it was one of my favorite TV show matches. Um, this was from AEW Dynamite number 50, which was the best friends versus Pride and Powerful in a street fight. These guys threw each other through windows, killed each other, two great tag teams working together. It made me take the best friends more seriously. Um, they ended up fucking that up a couple of weeks later by putting them in this terrible feud with Rusev, which was part of your honorable mentions for worst moments. But uh, this match in general did make me have a new respect for the best friends. And it was one of the better hardcore or street fight matches that I saw throughout the entire year. And there were a lot of them this year. Damn, that one was a lot of fun, and I didn't even think of it. I thought you were, you know, just in my mind, because my next one is actually from Dynamite. That's not that match, even though that was a great fucking match. But it was in late February, Dynamite. They had a 30-minute Iron Man match between Pac and Kenny Omega that I thought was the best thing Kenny had done in the ring since his match with Pentagon at All In um, and was just showing so much the potential of where Kenny could be and now where he's going and just showed that Pac 
easily could keep up with them and that I'm happy they're hinting at them having some type of rivalry here in the future after he beats uh, Ray Phoenix uh, at New Year's. Uh, I think this week or next week. I don't remember, but that match was fucking awesome. It was a television match that, just like the Daniel Bryan-AJ match, way past needing to be as good as it was. But uh, kudos to both those guys for kicking the shit out of each other and having a fucking great match. That match was incredible, but it was so far back at the beginning of the year on a random dynamite that I completely forgot it. <laughs> so that's a that's what I'm going to go back and watch now. Uh, that's what these lists are for. It's uh, it's you know it's opinions. We're not it's these aren't hardcore Dave Meltzer ratings that we're going by here. We're loose and fast. <laughs> Uh, for my number four, we knew this man was going to make the list at some point. Uh, Naito versus Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 14, which was on January 5th. It's the second night. Uh, wait, is that the second night or the first night? Second. Second night, yes. So um, it's kind of weird that Okada headlined both of those shows, but at the same time point at the same at the same time not like not super crazy but this match was incredible um naito finally overcomes the odds wins the title at wrestle kingdom huge deal for naito you get kenta attacking him after the match which if i had to take anything away from this match and probably the only reason it's not a little higher on this list is because of that the fact that you didn't get your typical Wrestle Kingdom huge celebration, which I thought Naito would deserve. And then obviously, uh, Corona comes around and kills his title run. But the match itself, as I would expect from Naito and Okada, absolutely fucking phenomenal. And uh, definitely well worth being in my top five. You know, good stuff. You know what I just realized? And this is kind of one of those like little statements outside of it. You know, I think Drew McIntyre and Tetsuya Naito have a lot in common with their years because they were given the title. Everyone thought they would shine. They were built up to be the top guys again. Uh, they, you could even say they both had discouraging past from when they first came on the main scene and, and, and their, their promotions originally. But they built themselves. They're finally there. And then we don't have a lot of response from audience. Obviously, Japan had more issues. But then they do something weird, take the title off them real quickly, and then put it on them again. I just found, out, I just found that similar in aspects, almost. Yeah, for sure. And they've also both lost to pretty big opponents in big matches that were non-title. Yeah. Um, you know, with McIntyre losing to, uh, well, last night. Yeah, Roman, and then uh, Naito taking some of the losses he took in the G1. There are some similar, some definitely similarities you could draw between the two. Um, Their treatment, if you will, due to COVID. But yeah, both pushed pushed as strong guys. Uh, I, I guess the only difference is Naito seems like he is clearly the number two guy, with Abushi being who all all signs point towards him being the new ace for them yep. right so that's uh that's the only difference whereas well actually even that could be a similarity it, with the exception that you have split rosters in wwe i think if you had one set roster obviously drew mcintyre would be the number two to roman at the moment yeah that's very true and then there's okada too with naito and i'm sure drew has someone 
I guess you could throw Orton in there almost as someone still that's uh you know has presence, if you will. But um Yeah, I mean I guess the one great thing about Okada is that he does at least have a strong view to go to with Will Osprey, which will be very entertaining heading into Wrestle Kingdom. So he's gonna have his big match regardless of the title picture. Yep, I agree. All right, well, anyways, my number three is one that you mentioned earlier, uh, Finn Balor against Kyle O'Reilly. To say this is hard-hitting is an understatement uh, because jaws were literally broken, teeth were knocked out. I mean, it was a violent fucking match. Uh, Great when it came to grappling as well. It looked like not an MMA match, but like something chain wrestling. It looked legit. It really did. Uh, both guys got damaged, so compared to my number one, I'll just give you a hint. That's why it goes a little bit lower in the list, uh, because of the fact that, you know, I mean, they maybe they were hitting a little bit too hard, but I thought that this was an excellent match, and I can't wait to see the second one. Um, I And if O'Reilly wins, you know, Velveteen Dream, I think, was getting to Adam Cole this last week about who is the leader in the Undisputed Era. If he wins that title, I don't know if Adam Cole's going to be happy for him anymore. So just setting that up, possibly. But uh, what what was your next one? For number three, I had the Young Bucks versus FTR at AEW Full Gear. Um, finally, we finally got the match. It was everything everyone expected it to be. It had some great storytelling with Nick selling his back throughout of throughout it, and the Young Bucks. Basically, instead of doing their high flying, kind of going the opposite route, and FTR getting a little too cocky and trying to finish the moves, the finish the match by high flying, they kind of switched roles. I thought it was a cool finish. Easily FTR's best match they've ever had. My favorite tag team match of the year. That's my number three. Out of all the matches I've seen with both teams, I think this is one of their best tag tag teams, and this is actually my number two. Young Bucks. Uh, FTR for the titles. I just thought that FTR showed off that old school style. They were going after the legs and stuff like that. Obviously, uh, Matt giving off the injury that he had. I, I forgot. I think it was actually in his knee, but he was selling his ankle, something to that extent. But they were going after their knees, but then they were going after, you know, uh, Scott Dawson's hand and trying to get so they couldn't, you know, you have this concept of the fist versus the flying. And that's they they were just great countering of each other. The tandem offense, they did every fucking move you could do, but they still had a great pace of the match, great storytelling, uh, and just the ending, like you said, Cash or Dash, I forgot what he's called nowadays, but he got cocky and he tried to end the match with uh, you know, um, a springboard uh three sixty or or four fifty, I should say. And since he went out of his comfort zone he ended up costing it, and just a super kick. Just one super kick from Matt. Even with the fucked up leg, finally got the win. I thought it was an awesome match, and probably the best tag team match last year. Barefoot super kick, man. Instead of just fists, it was just feet, I guess. <laughs> uh, for number two, it was night one for me at Wrestle Kingdom, which was Abushi versus... Okada, much like you, I thought this was better than the Naito match. It was one of my favorite single matches of the year. 
not enough to t- knock number one off my list because I was blown away by my number one, which I think may actually be your number one as well. But that is my number <laughs> two. Yeah, man. Uh, second time in a row. Who would know that Walter would make my number one within matches? Last year, it was him and Tyler Bate that made my number one. This year, it is Walter and Ilya Dragunov, who I made a ma- mention to, was in at least my top ten that I was only supposed to do five because I drink too much caffeine when I do these lists. Uh, but still, I think he was my seven. Uh, I just think Ilya Dragunov has a lot of potential. He's got a cool look. Uh and he showed he can take a fucking beating and give it back to someone way bigger than him. And I mean, these guys, they hit each other. There was bleeding, you know, bleeding from the mouth. But it never looked too unsafe. It, it, the strikes themselves, it wasn't like full contact punches. I mean, they beat the living hell out of each other. And watching that reaction with wrestlers that have worked with both of them, uh, and also Shawn Michaels and a lot of the other guys within the industry, Drew McIntyre, just Seamus, you know, guys that have worked with them and just praising them. It was the best match I saw last year. It was a, I mean, if I were to show a friend that doesn't watch wrestling some matches, it would probably be, because of physicality, it would probably be Okada, uh, Okada and Ibushi. It would probably be Balor and O'Reilly. And it would definitely be Walter and Ilya Dragunov. I thought that they... God, it was it was a long match, but it never seemed long. They were fighting and beating the shit out of each other. Everyone praised them, you know, between the wrestling journalist world to your Jim Cornettes to the wrestlers themselves. And it just showed that Walter is one of the best wrestlers in the world. It sucks that he doesn't really want to come over here. I get it. He's a champion over there in the UK. You know, he is basically their world heavyweight champion, if you will, over in NXT UK. And he's trying to expand and build his gym and get them to do one over in uh, in Austria as well to represent Europe for an NXT that, that they plan on making in the future. Probably got set back because of COVID. What I'm trying to say is we need to get Okada and Walter in a match together. There you go. That's it. <laughs> for all of the reasons you just stated, that's why this was my number one. I didn't see this the day it came out. You... We're like, Chris, you have to watch this match. You have to watch this match. And I think it took me like two or three days. And by the third day, I thought you were going to drive to my house and kick my ass for not watching it <laughs> yet. But by the time I got around... What are you doing? Why haven't you watching it, Chris? God! <laughs> so the thing about matches like this is usually it's the opposite of that reaction. Because now my hopes are up because this thing's got to be damn good. But it lived up to every ounce of the hype. Absolutely incredible match. Ilya and Walter beat the ever-loving hell out of each other in a very safe manner. They didn't do anything crazy. They didn't need to. It. If you like old-school wrestling, this had that feel to it. That's why you had people like Jim Cornette praising it. It was about as damn close to a perfect wrestling match that you could have. And, and that's very high praise. This could have made my top you know, one or two the past three years. So it's a damn good match. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. <sighs> I'm happy with that. All right. Um, I guess let's move on to tag teams. And then we'll do our male and female and then overall for singles. Um, 
God, this tag team was hard to put down. There were a lot of tag teams that definitely stood out this year in wrestling. I had to say that, uh, unfortunately, the Rascals didn't make my list. Um, I didn't see a lot of impact. I, I checked it out, you know, back and forth. But it took their, their pay-per-view that they build up to where they ended up having a match with Motor State Machine Guns for them to really reinvigorate what I liked about them um, with Winston um, and Desmond Xavier. Um, and also Trey, but Trey looks like, you know, he's more of the singles guy. It's it's sad in a way, but the tag team is going to NXT. It looks like Trey's going to AEW, but uh, I really like that tag team. So I had to mention them. Uh, Pride and Powerful. Um, just because of that, that, that one match that you mentioned, uh, with best friends. And I gotta admit both those guys made my honorable mention, but it doesn't matter what the honorable mention. Let's get to the top 10 starting at number 10, the, the impact champions, tag champions made a big mark coming back to impact rest or to coming to impact wrestling after they were furloughed from WWE, uh, and the talk and chop manias. Uh, everything they've done with that, I got to put at number ten: Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, the Machine Gun, Gunner himself, at ten on my tag teams uh, top ten. There you go. For my number ten, I actually had the best friends, aka the Club. So was that also your number ten? The Good Brothers or the Best Friends? Oh, the Good Brothers. Sorry, um, yeah, my that was my number ten here. So we're right, we're right there. I have for an honorable mention. I put Pride and Powerful. They had some great matches. They just didn't really. Most of the ways that they were utilized didn't allow me to put them on this list, just because they, I, I don't know, they ended up in a lot of matches that weren't tag matches necessarily. Um, but honorable mention to Pride and Powerful, aka LAX. All right, so let's see how much this uh, changes. We both got the Good Brothers for 10. Um, my number nine is New Day. I don't think that... I, I mean, they, it, they've they stayed a bit stagnant, but they're still the New Day. They had the belts for a while um, on both sides of the whole thing. Uh, they had a little bit of a, a weird concept with Big E splitting from them, but Kofi and... Uh, and uh, Xavier Woods have done a great job still holding it down, still putting on good matches, and now they're in a rebuilding period, which they always do well from. So uh, New Day, lower than new usual, that's for damn sure, but new, new Day at number nine for me. New Day, unfortunately, didn't make my list this year, and I think it was just mostly because they were injured for the good majority of it. Um, they did have some great matches. I loved what they were doing with Street Profits. Obviously, the match they had with... Cesaro and Nakamura was good. Um, there just hasn't been a huge focus on the tag division in WWE, and, and also they, they were injured for the majority of the year. So I, I don't have them on my list, but at number nine, I do have the best friends. So that was my flip-flop from earlier. But the best friends I have at number nine, I think they've had some good matches. They're kind of stuck in a terrible storyline, but leading into that storyline um, with some of the matches that they had with SCU and... Uh, feuding back and forth with different members from the inner circle. I think they've been a very entertaining tag team, and Trent Beretta is still someone I expect, once that tag team ends, to be could easily be a huge breakout star. So that's who I have. Agreed. All right. Well, 
Next on my list, uh, number eight is that we talked about them earlier. Uh, Motor City Machine Guns came back, had a great match with the Rascals. Uh, you know, this pay-per-view that they came back on, we had no idea they were in mind. We thought it was all ex-WWE guys, and we ended up getting, you know, we got Brian Myers, we got James Storm came back that night, the Good Brothers obviously did, uh, so did, um, oh man, I can't remember his name, the guy from 3MB, uh, Heath Slater, uh, all that the made their premiere, but it was the Mercy Machine Guns kicking it off, having with the Rascals, and then... Going against the North, who was cocky as hell because they had the titles for over a year, year and a half almost, had the record, and then got beaten. Uh, they would lose because they had to take Alex out of the mix for uh, a little bit of an injury he sustained. And uh, he just now came back, but now they're putting him at the top again against the Good Brothers. So we're going to get that singles tag match by itself. And also, like I said, Kenny Omega with the Good Brothers against Moshe Machine Guns and Rick Swan at the next pay-per-view impact in, in January. So uh, I think they're doing a good job climbing back up the ranks, I would say. Yeah, actually, at number eight, I have the Motor City Machine Guns as well. Once again, I think they would be higher. Obviously, Alex Shelley's uh, injury kicked that off a little bit. That and they weren't around the full year. I think if we had them for the full year in impact, they would have climbed this list a lot faster, especially be me being a huge Motor City Machine Gun mark. But... As of right now, they're sitting at number eight for all of the reasons you just stated. Number seven was kind of a weird tag team that was put together, but I can't... Uh, they have to be one of my favorite weird tag teams put together in the last couple of years. The Broserweights. Uh, you know, Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne at the beginning of this year were kicking ass in the tag division. Uh, they ended up switching out when they got the titles uh, because I forgot what reason. I don't know. Remember, Pete had to leave. So they, re they they put Timothy Thatcher, just made him a tag champion along with Matt Riddle, and then he fucked over Matt Riddle after they lost, and it was, I believe, his fault. And then that would lead to their cage match in which Matt Riddle left to, to have a great career on the main roster, being even dumber than his <laughs> real life. Um, but uh, the, that, that tag team, though, for the time period was awesome, and I loved Pete Dunne. And Matt Riddle bouncing off each other. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, for number seven, I have the Lucha Brothers. I think they continue to have good matches. They're entertaining. They obviously had some injuries. Um, but all of the matches they've been in have all been fun to watch. So I have them at number seven. They could have easily been higher, but obviously there's a huge focus on the top three tag teams in that division, which was at, at this point in time... Adam Page, Kenny Omega versus, you know, FTR and the Young Bucks that kind of took over the majority of the tag division last year. Yeah, and I'm going to say that I don't have them on my list, but I'll put them as honorable mention too, mainly because they've kind of started developing them as single stars a bit, but they're still, when they were together at the first half, were one of the best tag teams in the world. But um, yeah, just thought about that. My next one. So we got seven. This is six. Six. Um, it's Bailey and Sasha. Uh, they held the, the, the women's the tag titles. Uh, they made it relevant. Uh, they beat everyone they had to beat. They just had a good year in general. So they're the only women, um, women's tag team that I would put on this list. Uh, basically because all they are super groups at this point between, you know, the current champions and the ones before them and, even this one with Bailey and Sasha, but I mean, 
Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Um, well, what do you got next? Number five, six, or number five? Whatever you're on. I have number six, which is the Broser weights. Broser weights, bro. Uh, it was one of my favorite things on NXT of all last year, Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle bouncing off each other. It's unfortunate that they have treated Matt Riddle like the way they've treated him since moving him to the main roster. But that being said, uh, that was a really, really fun tag team. And maybe one day in the future, we'll get to see that again. That was uh, a lot of fun, the way they were able to play off each other and they had some good matches, specifically against the Undisputed Air. Um, and the one, yeah, I believe it was Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong in particular. That one almost made my top 10 matches list. So not only were they entertaining, they had some good matches during their short run. And uh, it's kind of sad that whatever happened where they got split up, I'm assuming that Pete Dunn got stuck in the UK due to COVID, if I'm remembering yeah, I correctly. Um so that sucks, but while they were around, they were one of they were definitely the best tag team in NXT during that time period, uh, with a very depleted tag team division. Agreed. I am top five I think is pretty substantial, my picks. Um I'm happy with them. Number five, the impact tag team champions. Uh, for the whole entire duration of this year and most of last year. They beat all the records. Uh, they had great matches with the Rascals. Uh, they had just pretty much all the major tag teams um, within there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this them losing to the Motor City Machine Guns. Uh, I'm talking about the North, by the way, if you haven't figured it out. I'm an idiot. Josh Alexander, Ethan Page. Um, them losing... Then they had some great matches still, again, with them. Uh, just the TV match itself, uh, where they lost the titles to the Motor City Machine Guns, was a great match. Good matches. And I like the... It's almost like you kind of take, like, Rick Steiner and put him in a group with, like, Tully Blanchard, like, this much more aggressive heel on the mic. And now it seems like, because of their, their you know, lost records and, and whatnot and losing to the Good Brothers that they're at odds and they're splitting up, which sucks, but Ethan Page, his contract is coming up, so no one knows exactly where he's going to go, but it would suck not to see the North against some of the uh, tag teams on AEW, like has been stated in the past. FTR wants a chance at them, so do the Young Bucks, and for good reason, I think. But they're my number five. Surprisingly enough, they are also my number five. I have the North at number five. This was a tag team that I did not know much about until Motor City Machine Guns returned, and we had a little bit of a resurgence of impact. Then I had to go back and watch the North, obviously. And uh, wow, you know, that tag team division and impact was really good all of last year, and they were a shining spot in it. Ethan Page, if he decides to, to leave and go on a singles run, he is very entertaining to say the least. So I could see him doing some cool stuff. It would be sad if this tag team does break up, but they are well-deserved at number five. Great minds think alike. We'll probably have similar ones. I'm assuming going forward. Uh, number four is a uh, uh, tag team. I brought up on my uh, breakouts. Uh, they bring the swag like nobody can. They don't mean to brag where the party at uh, street profits, man, the red solo cups, they're abysmal tag divisions that they still did great stuff on both sides. They did 
get held back a bit by that stupid shit with the Viking Raiders. Some of it was entertaining. Some of it was complete garbage. But all in all, Montez Ford, especially Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins, has shown how charismatic they are. They've gotten better at tandem offense in the ring. They've gotten better in the ring in general on the mic. Uh, I would say, honestly, on, on WWE with the no audience and the weird setup they have, that they have, uh, they're up there with 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 Sasha and Bailey and Drew McIntyre as far as taking advantage of it and still being something that brings eyes to that product. But uh, yeah, Street Profits at number four. For my number four, I have Adam Page and Kenny Omega. Um, it's easy to forget because it's a little overshadowed, but they had some great matches and they pretty much held the AW Tag Team Titles almost the full year. Uh, until their breakup. I thought they were really entertaining as a tag team together. They, Like I said, they had some good matches with SCU, the Lucha Brothers, Pride and Powerful, um, some good four-way matches throughout there. And uh, the storyline leading to their breakup was, was entertaining, not the best thing of all time, but it did give us what we have now with uh, Omega. And also, you know, the dissension of... Kenny from the Young Bucks, and uh, that led into the FTR Young Bucks feud as well, with you know Adam Page kind of taking sides. So kind of put all these people on their own paths. So overall, I have them at number four: Kenny Omega and Adam Page. That's funny because they are my number three: Omega and Page, who worked well as a tag team. I love their finisher, even as awkward as it looked. It looked like it fucking hurt. Um, their matches they had with FTR, their matches that they had with the Young Bucks, their matches that they had with anyone usually. They put on a great fucking tag team match. And um, I thought for being just impromptu guys together, I liked the story going on between the two of them throughout all of it. It definitely kept uh, dramatics up there and added an extra element besides their awesome matches themselves. So I think that uh, there's definitely, to mention, the ex-tag team champions, Kenny Omega, and Adam Page. Well, for number three, I think we did a flip-flop here. I had the Street Profits. I think they're easily the best tag team in, in WWE right now, or NXT. They're obviously the most over at the moment. I think, you know, you can rehab the the New Day and, and maybe build some new tag teams. But as of right now, all roads kind of lead to the Street Profits as being the top tag team. And... They've gotten a lot better in the ring. Montez Ford hitting that fucking frog splash is always insane. And most recently, one of my favorite matches was them beating the Young Bucks at the at the I can't I don't remember the name of the pay per view because WWE has eight new bazillion. Day. Yeah, they beat the New Day. Uh, so when I, I actually I probably said the Bucks on accident, but uh, they beat the New Day uh, at that pay per view. I don't remember what the name Survivor of the Series. I think. Yeah, that was a great match, like a really, really good WWE-style tag team match. And uh, like I said, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I, they're easily, to me, they're the most important tag team in, in WWE right now. And there's ways to fix the New Day. They're not, you know, broken or anything. Uh, maybe not having yes. a feud with the Hurt Business for the next eight years would help. But right now, Street Profits, they're a well-deserved number three on my list. Oh, wow. That's funny because those switch to me, like I even have like an arrow 
So I had that originally this way. I'm wondering if our, our top two and one, if the original way that I set it up was the same way. Because my number two was uh, FTR. I thought that FTR had an excellent year. I think that it was, you know, we didn't get to see a lot of them beforehand when they were in WWE, obviously. But when they got their releases and got out, everyone was clamoring to find out where they were going to go. When they showed up, they showed up with presence. I didn't, I understood that they were trying to wait and separate them and, and Young Bucks, but they just came out and kind of, I think, beat up the guys that were trying to beat up the Young Bucks and just left. And it was a very weird buildup for that whole entire thing. But winning the titles, beating everyone, just having great matches even on television, I think elevating a lot of the younger guys in the tag division, along with the Young Bucks, and finally clashing with the Young Bucks, having that classic match, and finally getting them to be kind of what the midnight is to the rock and roll potentially, or the brain busters were to the rockers. And I think that that's very important. I like the addition of Tully and I wouldn't be surprised if next year we see some type of formation or group that's still being hinted at formed with them, a part of it as the Arn Anderson and Oli, you know, concept with them there. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And uh, FTR is also my number two, which pretty much cements that our lists are going to be the same from here on out. Uh, but yeah, for all the reasons you stated, um, they had a great title run, even though it wasn't a very long one. Because they were defending the titles each week, they were able to put over a lot of good young tag teams. One match that stands out to me is uh, them versus Private Party. I think that was easily Private Party's best match. Uh, and it seemed like FTR was kind of taking people to that place, no matter who they fought week after week. And uh, like I said, good title run, interesting stuff. Uh, the thing that really, for me, hurt the feud wasn't anything FTR was doing. It was more like the Young Bucks crying and super kicking people. <laughs> it was just a weird way to make you want the FTR to get their ass kicked by the good guys. And that would make my number one, the Young Bucks. Um, they had a really awkward start. <laughs> uh, it was very hard to choose between FTR and the Young Bucks, honestly, because if you look into it, the Young Bucks previous before getting the titles, which was just recent, you know, a lot of stuff they did was up in the air. A lot of the buildup with FTR, like you just said, super kicking Alex Marvez or Tony Schiavone, just strange, trying to give them like a little bit of the edge but it just came off very forced. Uh, but their matches, I mean, it didn't matter if they had the titles or not, still put on great matches. And I thought that once they got the titles, they had earned it. And I think they're going to keep it for a while. So uh, just good stuff. I like that they're also giving, like Cody did with the TNT title, a chance for some of these newer tag teams to make a mark uh, within AEW. They seem very giving, and I appreciate that. But... Uh, Yep, Young Bucks, number one for me. I don't know, unless you went a completely different route and decided to put the Viking Raiders at number one, 
Pretty sure that you're the Young Bucks, too. Could be wrong, though. <laughs> yes, mine is also the Young Bucks, uh, for all the reasons you stated. And, you know, over the recent weeks since winning the titles, like you said, they have given opportunities to younger tag teams. And they've been doing that since kind of day one of AEW. But uh, most recently, their match with the Acclaimed, a group I had never heard of because I don't watch AEW Dark, was incredible. Or their match with Top Flight was even better. It's uh, It doesn't really matter who you put in there with the Young Bucks. They seem to be able to drag a good match out of them. I like more of this style of the Young Bucks. I know it sucks that one guy has to be kind of injured to slow them down, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's like they, even though they do the normal Young Bucks stuff, they always give you something slightly different in every match. And uh, appreciate that. I think it's it was good in the match they had with FTR. As noted, it was I think it was the only tag team match that hit my list for best matches. So uh, they had an amazing year. It'll be interesting to see where things go. If we start seeing some of these impact tag teams show up, that could be fun. And obviously the rematch with FTR is going to happen sometime, which will be something to behold. I'm sure that's going to be fucking crazy. Probably some kind of ladder match or something. Motor city machine guns. Anyways, um, thought I'd just throw that out there. Uh, let's get to our top 10 male performers, male wrestlers. Performers is a bad word. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> uh, this year, well, I got to say, my honorable mention, the fact that three names in general that I'm about to say out loud did not make my list and have pretty much made my list, I think, every year. Very, very fucking weird and eerie with Kazuchika Okada, which I feel like shit even saying that, Seth Rollins, and AJ Styles. Uh, Okada, not his fault. I mean, his wrestling was pretty much cut off. Um, he lost. Wrestling was done, pretty much. Uh, shut down shortly after Wrestle Kingdom and everything. Uh, when it came back on, they put him in the G1. He had great matches and then got turned on by his protege, Will Ospreay, and they're building the storyline with that. But, I mean, some of these guys, it's like the more exposure, it, it just makes more sense to put them on the top ten. And uh, AJ just was stagnant. I mean, I'm gl- he did have that great match with Daniel Bryan. He's had the, had the IC belt. You know, he's one guy they know that they can put in there for the title. But still, I couldn't put him on here. And, um, God, both of those guys are my top five. Rollins is usually on here, too. Seth, I didn't like his heel turn. I thought it was garbage for the most part until the end. And then he left, obviously, because uh, his, 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 his lady... Uh, Becky Lynch had their child. So, but other than that, I got to put Kota Bushi. A lot of these, I can't believe I'm saying. Keith Lee, who had a great first half, not that great second half. Um, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Pentagon. Remind me after we're done with the list, I got to say some stuff that I for- completely forgot with one of the guys I was not on my list, but could be there, Brody Lee. Uh, obviously, we should talk about that before we go off. Uh, apologize, I, I just now thought about it. I guess after a long time of thinking about it, it suddenly slipped my mind. But um, yeah, Brody, EC3, Nick Aldis, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Daniel Bryan, Murphy, and Biggie, who I think a lot of those guys have taken advantage of a year and done some good stuff, but they did not make my top 10 list. Uh, my top 
number 10, I should say, is Killer Cross. I think he came on as a monster. He had the most presence and one of the best theme music and entrances since Finn Balor and Shinsuke. Uh, I just think that the whole uh, presentation with him and Scarlett, awesome. I love that he goes in the ring and decimates them, kind of like Goldberg style, just beats them shortly. Uh, his match with Keith Lee was awesome, but injury definitely pertained to it slowing down, and he had to get the title and then automatically leave. But he shows way more potential than most. I think Tim and Damian Priest, who are about to have an awesome match, I think, uh, at NXT Wednesday, uh, they, they just show so much potential uh, past NXT. And, uh, like I said, uh, him as a package, I think, is uh, really important. Uh, who's your number 10, Chris? Chris, are you on mute and talking? Sorry about that. Yeah, um, so my number 10... In, originally, these next three were all honorable mentions, but after going back and watching a lot more of the G1 and re-watching Wrestle Kingdom's Nights 1 and 2, they were elevated just because of their match quality once again um, being so damn great. So at number 10, I actually have Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, I can't believe I don't have him on my list. I feel like a douchebag. I'm such That's a mark. It's just such, it was such a weird year because while wrestling was still going here, the G1 didn't start until September this year, and yep. they weren't running live shows. They and they didn't have any. They're not taping. They weren't taping events or anything. So it it was a weird year for New Japan. But like I said, when I when I went back and watched a lot of the G1 and once again rewatched Wrestle Kingdom, it did. It, end up shoehorning some of these guys into my list all right well my next one is actually uh from new japan uh tetsuya naito uh i mean he would have been higher if that weird thing that they decided to go with storyline uh wise with uh evil picking it up and then dropping it again to him but then again he won the iwgp heavyweight and the iwgp uh, intercontinental twice uh, if you want to put it more in a positive light. But Naito has been on fire. He has had his loss losses. Um, we don't know really if he's going to win or lose at Wrestle Kingdom. It seems like, you know, like Drew McIntyre, he's had to deal with a lot of uh, strange uh, things approached in his way. But he still has, you know, he still won. He still has the titles. He lost Evil as a part of LIJ. But, you know, the rest of LIJ is strong. So uh, Naito is my number nine. For number nine, I actually have Kota Ibushi, which I think his next year, this year coming up of 2021, will be a huge year for him. Uh, I do think he's probably going to end up with a title at Wrestle Kingdom, as we've talked about in the past. Um, once again, his matches at Wrestle Kingdom for from last or I don't want to say last year, but the beginning of this year and all of the work that he did in the G1 um, was phenomenal. So he had a huge year. I think he's going to have an even bigger year next year. Yeah, Coda almost made my list. I was arguing with myself about him. Um, but my number eight, someone we talked about, uh, Eddie Kingston. 
You know, he didn't win anything. He came in and actually had a great brawl with Cody to start it off uh, for the TNT title. People that had watched Impact and NWA before that knew of him, but this was a different side. The promo he cut and the fact they decided to sign him just based on that and then everything he did after that, kind of towing the line of babyface and heel, just being this real dude. And um, having this innate ability, you know, even as a heel, to be still liked. Um, like I said, his match quality, I, I can, for certain people... I think Eddie is is kind of in a similar category to me when it comes to almost Bray uh, that like the build up and the stuff that you do for it and stuff like that that's awesome but the ring stuff I can just expect it's going to be a bit less but he's still a good brawler and for that and the fact that I think he's going to have a big year this next year um even ha- even though Lance Archer and Pocker in his fucking uh you know, coming straight up one after the other. Uh, I think he's going to have a pretty dominant presence still at AEW this next year. So for my number eight, I have Tetsuya Naito for pretty much all the reasons that I gave for Dakota and uh, Kazuchika Okada. Um, Just phenomenal year. Weird booking, very weird booking with him dropping the title and then picking back up. My assumption is they did that to restart his run because there was no wrestling in Japan. Um, But it was a weird choice. He's going to have a great match at Wrestle Kingdom. Probably, well, two great matches, more than likely. And uh, I look forward to seeing what they do with him. I could see them doing a feud with him and Jay White for a little bit. Um, it's going to be a very interesting title picture in New Japan after Wrestle Kingdom for sure. Yep. All right. Next one on my list, number seven, Darby Allen. Uh, charisma for days. Uh, this natural charisma because he doesn't talk a lot. Uh, but the the way they go about his his concept, his demeanor. I mean, if you're going to pair him with Sting, that's definitely going to get points with me. Finally winning the TNT championship with his rivalry being so similar in aspects of the Ric Flair and Sting rivalry, but finally getting that TNT championship and, you know, just having this, this different look and this different presence, his wrestling style, much like a Rey Mysterio and certain other small wrestlers, what he does and how he approaches moves and how much intensity He's able to make it look believable that someone his size could actually still put up a damn fight against pretty much anyone. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I think that he has all the potential in the world, Uh, especially, like I said, beforehand with the breakout stuff. Having a rub from Sting is definitely going to help him as long as they don't keep him too close to him for too long of a time where he's Sting's, you know, uh, sidekick. If they just do this and they have some type of storyline in place, I think that he's going to come out even bigger and better from it. Uh, for my number seven, I have Adam Page, baby. Uh, he had a great beginning of the year. He's been involved with one of the biggest storylines, if not the biggest storyline, in NXT with him and Pat McAfee. Um just great matches, um, really good match against Ciampa that made my top list. He, and before he dropped the title, he had held it for like 400 and something days. 
just hard not to see him making this list, so that is my number seven. Well, now I feel like an asshole because somehow I fucking overlooked Adam Cole. Didn't even didn't even say him in the honorable mentions. God damn it. Oh well, what am I gonna do? I well, I think that, you know, what fans can take away or listeners can take away from the show is these companies might have the most st- stacked rosters they've ever had. There is a lot of fucking good wrestling out there right now. That's a good point. I think we have this problem every year, though, where we just like, oh, yeah, that's that person existed. Um, but, you know, that's that's what makes <laughs> it fun and sexy. Fun and sexy. I like it. All right. My next person, number six. Three letters have brought him back to the dance of obscurity. R-K-O. Randy. Randall Orton. Randall Orton. Um, Minus the stupid shit that's been going on with The Fiend, even though I have to admit that I didn't hate that Inferno match as much as some other people did. Um, But And that one match at WrestleMania with Edge was definitely redeemed a bit by the one that followed it, where Edge unfortunately got injured. Um... But just his his in-ring work with Drew McIntyre, with a lot of the other wrestlers, him putting Keith Lee over, him winning the title back, I mean, and, and getting closer to his, his goal, uh, like his mentor, Ric Flair, trying to break that record. Him having Ric Flair, which was an awesome duo that we kind of didn't even, we kind of breezed over uh, with Randy Orton being backed by Ric Flair until Randy got so vicious and evil after he took out Edge. He takes out Christian, The Big Show, Shawn Michaels, and all these guys. Some of the segments were a little bit... I'm going to put that on Raw, and I'm going to put that on WWE more so. Everything that Randy did promo-wise, he he just seemed like he gave a shit. And that's something that you kind of lose him a lot. And I thought that this has been one of his best years in a very, very long time. Where he was relevant, and it was good that he was relevant. Not because he did a bunch of drugs and made an ass out of himself. (laughs) <laughs> you will be happy that I actually have him on my list, but I have him a little higher. Um, but what? <laughs> my number six, I have AJ Styles. Um, the reasoning for having AJ Styles here is he's just the constant professional. He didn't do anything that was mind-blowing this year. He had some good matches. But none of his matches are ever bad. None of the angles he gets put in completely suck. It seems like he is uh, he is what you should aim for as a WWE superstar. Someone that can get rotated in as a top guy. Can have good matches with anyone you put him against. And he's still one of the best wrestlers in the world. If this list was best in ring talent, it would be a lot different. He would definitely be up there at yeah. the top with, with an Okada. Um, or a Kota Ibushi, a Kenny Omega. But this is who had the best year, who is our favorites this year, more of a list. And uh, AJ continues to be one of my favorite things to watch, uh, whether he is on Raw or SmackDown. And I think he had probably the most important match of the year, which is the Boneyard match and the retirement of The Undertaker. So had to put Yeah. Okay, that's, that's good reasoning. I, I was mad that I couldn't put AJ on mine because I just... I guess I didn't think of it like you. I mean, all good points had arguably two of the best matches of the year. One on fucking SmackDown with Daniel Bryan. One against Undertaker for his last match. Had the IC belt. 
uh, got a giant um, uh, gentleman in a uh, in a suit to come out with him. Uh, you know, AJ's had a pretty good year. You, uh, you you definitely made me rethink that a bit. But my five is the is was my breakout, my number one breakout. But because of the Randy Orton stuff, you know, uh, I kind of had to put, bump him down one because it, it seems like maybe WWE lost faith a bit in Drew McIntyre. But Drew McIntyre, I think, has had a pretty damn good year. With all the, the circumstances being the way that they are, he's put 100%. He looks like he's gotten better in the ring. Um, I knew he was getting crisper when, you know, he was one of the first students of Shawn Michaels when Shawn first came over in NXT. And if you watch a documentary, they kind of go over that. Um, and just he just takes it seriously. He He works his ass off. He makes every press round, every kid's thing. You know, he's trying to be the premier baby face for WWE. And I appreciate that, especially since where he's at, not because of his fault, he's on a show that sometimes when I watch it, it makes me want to bash a rock in my head. But like I said, it's not his fault. And it's not the rock like Dwayne Johnson. It's just a giant fucking rock. But it's still not Drew McIntyre's fault. So there you go. Number five. Um, for my number five, I have Kenny Omega. Uh, obviously, he has broken out over the past two months more so than the rest of the year. But he was a huge part of Adam Cole and and uh, the Kenny Omega tag team, as well as having great matches, like you said, against well, pretty much anyone they put him in there with, because he's Kenny Omega. But specifically, the pack match that he brought up, um, and more recently, the match he had with Pentagon which was incredible in his match with Adam Page. And uh, right now he's riding high, heavyweight champion, and uh, still a AAA champion and probably soon to be Impact champion. It's going to be an interesting year for Mr. Kenny Omega. Yep, I I agree with you. Uh, My number four is the one that he got the belt off of, actually, and that's John Moxley. I thought that... John also, kind of like Naito and Drew McIntyre, suffered from a lack of audience because of the COVID era. And it seemed a bit that he was getting a bit stagnant with his championship reign. It kind of got a little bit, you know. But then he, I think it was Eddie Kingston, pumped it more up and got some more life back into that. And, I mean, he cuts some of the best promos. He nonchalantly told us that his wife, Renee Young, who all of us know in the wrestling industry is pregnant in a promo, um, you know, but he was just, he's, he's this badass. He comes out, he fucks some people up. He's aligned himself with Darby Allen before he's had some pretty good matches. He's another person where his match quality doesn't matter as much to me as him just being a badass brawler and being able to make it look like he's really trying to fuck up the other person. I wish, and I've already said this a million times. I wish that he wouldn't go, I mean, I don't care about chairs and stuff like that, but when you get in, like, barbed wire areas, and I don't know. Some of that just kind of takes me out of it. But I love John Moxley on the mic. I love him as a character. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, he was a champion for almost for most of the year. So you got to put that in there. For my number four, I have RKO himself, Randy Keith Orton. Uh Orton had his best year in the past decade, if I'm being completely honest. I think he had a ton of good matches with Drew McIntyre, good match with Keith Lee, 
his that match with Edge, the second match was really good. He had some of his best promo work he's had in forever. He easily was, if not the top heel for most of the year, second to the top. I guess, you know, if you think about when when we actually got the Roman turn for the rest of that year, Randy Orton was pretty much the top heel in their company. Well-deserved on this list. This is the first time Mr. Randy Orton has ever made my list on this show. So... I will. Uh, I will have to give him props. He made a. He made a good run, and I'm not even a huge Randy Orton fan. So, the fact he made the list here is proof that it was well deserved. Yep, I think that that says it for both of our lists. Um, my next person is a guy that beat John Moxley inevitably, even if there was some uh, some screwy things with a microphone, or the fact that Moxley can get put through a table and be okay from it, but a microphone hit. We'll take him out of it. Whatever. I don't really give a fuck. That's what the marks are bitching about. Kenny Omega, think about it. Beginning of the year, he had one of my favorite matches. Made my top ten, him and Pac. Um, he slowly would get the tag titles with Adam Page and be one of the most dominant tag teams, beating everyone, having great tag matches. And then, you know, his match with Pentagon, like you said. His match with Laredo Kid at Triple Mania where he, uh, you know, uh, won or retained, I should say, the AAA Mega Championship. Um, his match with John Moxley was actually a pretty fucking good structured match. And uh, him getting the win, this team up with him and Don Callis, like I said, uh, a little bit ahead of Ric Flair and Randy Orton, but just below uh, Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns as one of the best, um, you know, duos with him and Don Callis together. There's stuff they're doing on Impact, him calling himself now the belt collector, being the cleaner, having this over-the-top entrance, uh, even losing when they, they lost the titles uh, to FTR. You know, just everything that he's done as of recently has really helped out. And when he was a bit stagnant, you got you to gotta realize he was still the tag team champion for most of that part and still having great matches. So he's finally getting to where fans want him, I would say. And uh, a lot of potential in a lot of different areas to do some really cool things. So there you go. My number three, Kenny Omega. Good night. (laughs) My number three is Cody Rhodes. Um, I mean, he held that North American championship for seemingly what was forever. He had good matches with pretty much anyone they've put him in there against. He's been one hell of a promo since day one in AEW. And uh, as far as, like, best storytelling matches, the match he and Brody Lee had, the strap match specifically, that was Tim and Brody Lee, right? Yes. For the title? Yeah. Uh, was was phenomenal. Um, he didn't have as big of a year as I thought he was going to, but the beginning of this year was super, super strong. And uh, Cody's it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. I'm assuming that he is not going to be a babyface for much longer just based on what they're doing with Sting. That seems like that will come to a head eventually, but yeah, great year. I think he was well-deserved number three. Still one of the best babyface promos in the business, if not the best. Oh, and that's why he is my number two. Yeah, he, I mean, he held the TNT title for a very long time. He did lose it to Brody Lee but then regained it with the strap match, which unfortunately would be Brody's last match. 
in pro wrestling. And like I said, we'll get more into that after we're done with these countdowns. I definitely want to uh, make some statements about that. But, you know, Cody had an excellent year uh, just building himself as a baby face, putting on these great fucking matches um, that he tells that are old school storytelling that have emotion involved in it. That's very hard to find in wrestling nowadays. Uh, his his story with Darby Allen uh, is awesome. Uh, his story with, with Brody Lee was great uh, and very weird how he just jumped out, came back with black hair for two seconds, and then came back with dyed hair again. I didn't really understand what the hell that was about specifically, but he's one of the best baby faces, and I think he's about to make so many, so many people sad. And I just have his prediction, this weird feeling, and I've been right about certain things, wrong about a lot of things, that... It isn't a joke that, you know, since we see that Sean Spears seems to be kind of even backing away from Tully, I think that Ethan Page is signed right now, or is about to be signed, and we're going to see maybe Ethan Page, Cody, and FTR as a new unit, a getting led by Tully and Arn, and they're going to fuck up Sting and Darby Allen soon in the future, so... And be go from being one of the biggest baby faces to being one of the biggest bad guys within a couple year flip, and I think he'll do it. And uh, I could be wrong on that. I'm fine with him as a baby face. He's one of the best. So I just think that Cody's on fire. I could definitely see them going that route. That that's I don't think that's too crazy of a prediction. Um, I did see that Sean Spears's photo was removed from the AEW roster page. There was some news floating around about that. So I haven't heard anything on what's going on with, with Sean Spears, but uh, I would say Ethan Page is an upgrade if you're going to do a group. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, I guess we'll get to my number two, which is John Moxley, pretty much your AEW champion for the entire year. Amazing promos, good matches, even with matches against someone like a Brian Cage. Uh, I think he was able to tell very believable stories. Like you said, more of a brawler. Um, but he has been working in, you know, more, I guess, MMA-type moves. And I, I, I like that. I've particularly liked his straight-up singles matches more than some of these brawls or no-DQ matches. But, uh, you know, the match he had with Kenny Omega I thought was really, really good. Um, the match he had with Brian Cage, I thought was really, really good. And he just had one hell of a run as the champ and was a great promo starting, you know, from when he took the belt off Jericho up until now. Uh, also, that Minoru Suzuki match he had was fucking great. So my number two, John Moxley, it's hard to it's hard to not put him there, either two or one, simply because of his run as, as the AEW champion. And um, I think I would have had him even higher if some of his storylines didn't get stopped and started due to either COVID or, um, well, that was that was one of them. Injury, he had that infection in his elbow. Um, he just had a little period during the summer where he hit some weird stuff, and, and he may have even been number one if not for that. All right, well... Um... I don't know. I'm I'm, uh, I'm just going to throw it out there that we might have the same number one. So there might be a little bit of lag, people. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to go one, two, three, Chris. And after three, we're going to say our number one, okay? Sounds good. 
One, two, three, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns. <laughs> Do you want to give your reasoning first, sir? Yeah. Um, it's it's weird. when This is weird on two circumstances. This is weird that, you know, The Office, Vince, everyone there, that it took Paul Heyman who got taken away from the creativity that he was providing and trying to do for Raw because it wasn't the Vince way. You think he's gone. We don't know what happened. And then, come to find out, he got he said, fuck it, I'm going to take Roman and creatively work with him and make him big when he comes back. That, you know, Roman Reigns as a heel would actually work fucking crazy. But not only that, that all these goddamn wrestling marks that hated Roman Reigns because he was a new punching bag like John Cena and tried to deny him being a good wrestler should just shut the fuck up unless they're talking about people doing 360s over the goddamn ropes as being what amplifies your opinion on being a good wrestler. Roman's probably one of the best in the business. Amazing storytelling. Great in the fucking ring. Dominant presence. The number one person in the WWE, bar none. Uh, the person that I would like to see go against everyone else on my top ten, no matter who it is. Uh, and he's elevated himself to a way with this Tribal Chief run. I mean, it, the promos, the pairing with Paul Heyman, his ring matches, the way that he's being this dastardly heel, kind of like the Godfather almost in a way. There's so much to do with this. We don't know. We know that him and Daniel Bryan are being set up for next because Daniel Bryan kind of, well, didn't threaten Paul, but did similar things that Kevin Owens did to him. Basically, uh, his his he brought Kevin Owens back up out of obscurity, which I think KO did his uh, himself. But I'm just saying, now I look at Kevin Owens a lot differently, and knowing that he lost because of Jey Uso's involvement, still keeps him at the top and shows potential for more in the future. I think that Roman's making everyone that he works with better, and I think he's the best wrestler in the industry right now. Period. All around. Come at me. Danehouse42 at Twitter. <laughs> he is definitely the most important wrestler in the business right now from the standpoint that he is single-handedly carrying WWE to their most important stuff they've had on TV in years, maybe since Daniel Bryan. Uh, he has always been a huge star, but this has elevated him to the next level. This is the reason people are tuning in more so and watching SmackDown than Raw. He is by far the big dog, the tribal chief, for sure. Uh, the stuff that he's done with Jey Uso, that storyline has been entertaining, very fun to watch, easily the best thing to watch on WWE's product. In even, And I'm including NXT in that as well. The stuff that Roman's been able to do has been the most entertaining. Um, his matches have been good. The match he just had with Kevin Owens barely missed my list. Uh, and the only reason it missed my list is because they had to do a fuck finish. And that portion of that match went a little too long for me. But uh, just, he's been incredible. I love from night one when he signs that contract or doesn't sign that contract for the match, and then shows up at the tail end and beats everyone, you knew you had a very different Roman. And he has continued to build on that character. The fact that Paul Heyman is terrified of what this man can do and what this man is willing to do to keep that title, it's been great. 
and he's easily the best heel in the industry right now. Uh, maybe I, you know, there's people that can out promo him. If you're going to say like Eddie Kingston is the best just because of promos, but you can put anyone in there right now with Roman Reigns and they're the baby face. And that's what you want your top heel to be. Um, and he has done a phenomenal job and, and very deservedly makes number one on this list. And we've talked about it for years, like, people's weird hatred for Roman for no reason other than him being kind of a WWE darling. I mean, there's a reason for it. He's good in the ring. He's always been a solid promo for the most part. If you keep in mind that WWE writes most of these guys promos Um, and he's got the look and size and now he's put all that together. Paul being his manager, it's, he had to make number one on my list this year. No denying it. Oh, I agree with you. Well, I guess we'll move on to the top 10 female wrestlers of this last year. Honorable mention, uh, Shotzi Blackheart. Shotzi, I thought, uh, minus some of the stuff with the tank, but even just her hosting at Halloween Habit, she really showed off her skills. She's been great in ring. I liked her. Involved, obviously, with her team as part of War Games against Candice's team. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez, I already said, she's on fire. She has unlimited potential and has been a great opponent, uh, specifically for Rhea Ripley. Bianca Belair, I think that she's going to be on the top next year, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's her and Sasha at WrestleMania this year. Tony Storm came back, became heel, and is rocking it, actually. Alexa Bliss. Um, I like the stuff that she's doing. She's making, to me, some of the stuff with the Firefly Funhouse that's losing its steam and Bray Wyatt. I like what she's doing. She's actually making it intriguing still, and not much can anymore. And then Jordan Grace, who was the champion at Impact, also went for the X Division Championship. She's a badass. But my number 10 is Deanna Perrazzo. Deanna got let go over at, at uh, NXT. She was in the background and kind of a jobber, uh, known by all her female wrestlers as a badass wrestler and great within the industry. She showed up at Impact. She took the championship very quickly from Jordan Grace. They had a great 30-minute Iron Woman match. That was a damn good match. Uh, She ended up retaining. Uh, She was supposed to go against Kylie Ray. Some weird shit happened. They ended up putting the title against Sue Young that was impromptu put in uh, in there, and then she dropped it to Deanna Prazo. Not so, I don't know what really happened during that time period, but has had the Women's Impact Championship for the longest duration total out of anyone. She's shown uh, actual skill on the mic that we never got to see in NXT and uh, good wrestling inside the ring. So she's my number 10. Who do you got? For number 10, I have your AEW women's champion, Hikura Shida. Um, she's had some good matches. Unfortunately, they haven't done a good job of building that women's division. I think her match with Thunder Rosa is probably the best match I've seen her have outside of her matches with Rio. Um, hopefully, once they start rebuilding that division a little bit, now that Serena Deebs is there and, and Thunder Rosa is there, we're going to get a lot better matches. But it's hard not to put Hikura Shida there. She was there forever champion so that is currently my number 10 uh she's actually my number nine kuroshida um 
a lot of the stuff that you said, some of the stuff that keeps her low on the list is the development of the women's division, specifically the AEW women's division on um, AEW. And uh, she just kind of, she's she's done a great job, but it's kind of, she's lost steam completely and it's only a matter of time until if, if Abaddon doesn't, until someone takes that title off of her um, soon here in the future. But the match quality, her year, her reign, her having the title since uh, Nyla Rose when she picked it up, she's done a pretty damn good job. To have to agree with you. Are we uh, ready for number nines? Number nine? Number nine? So for number nine, I have Britt Baker. I think Britt Baker is one of the most entertaining female stars on AEW. Um, and her matches have gotten better. I would have it. It would have been more interesting if she didn't have the injuries she had to see where she would be right now. I will say that. But uh, as far as a character and a female performer, she is very, very, very entertaining to say the least. And that's funny because she is my number eight, Britt Baker. Uh, potential is very, very big with what she can do in the future. Her segments that she has in the dentist's office with Rebel have been awesome, but they're only on fucking dark. These have been one of the better like segment things I've seen in a long time because they usually just don't live up to Piper's Pit or a couple others that have done decently. They need to bring that fucking shit on the main show of Dynamite. Uh, it just shows off a lot of her range. Her as a heel has been great. Her involvement with Tony Schiavone has been entertaining. I'll pretend that dentist match with Big Swole didn't happen because it was fucking terrible. But the potential of her and Thunder Rosa, probably the two best characters in the women's division, arguably on AEW, uh, yeah, sign me up for that. I think that as far as her as a character, she's doing some really good work, and she's gotten better in the ring. So that's why she is my number eight. What is yours? For number eight, I have Shayna Baszler. Uh, she could have been much higher on this list, but I think that she was pretty much wasted in a pointless segment with Lana for a long period of time. And the women's division on Raw right now at the moment, while it has gotten better since Charlotte was there, was kind of abysmal, and they threw her in a tag team division that has literally one other tag team. So didn't book her the best. She's still a great in-ring performer. I loved when they won that uh, tag match and she hit the double submission. I thought that was really cool. They've done some cool stuff with her. It's not anything to do with her in-ring work. It's more of the booking. At one point this year, she was a vampire, Dane. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Ugh, God, just like... <laughs> well, I mean, it's Abaddon just did it to Kirishita. I don't know why they don't realize that vampires and eyeballs just don't, don't go after them. <laughs> well, at, at least with Abaddon, it's par for the course with her character being a fucking weirdo. Like with Shayna Baszler, it was just like, why? What? It's, yeah, it's like Vince was like, you wear a mouth guard. That looks weird. Vampire. What? <laughs> with Abaddon, you would expect her to try to maybe eat someone's neck. Uh, that's what yeah. the character is supposed to look like, you know? Yeah, Shayna made my honorable mention. I forgot to mention her, though, but. Her and even Naya, the, the tag team they had was pretty dominant, 
and I've been enjoying some of the stuff between the two of them, but especially Shayna, she's on my honorable mention. But my number seven, I'm very happy to have uh, Serena Deeb, the current, um, whatchamacallit, uh, NWA Women's Champion, uh, the matches she had with Thunder Rosa in that series, her picking up the belt, her uh, now being a part of AEW, uh, amazing coach. I love that she's using the, uh, you know, go to sleep as a little bit of a nod to CM Punk, since when she started, she was the bald lady uh, in the um, straight edge society. Uh, so she's using that kind of concept and adding it in her repertoire. She's a great baby face. I don't know her really well on the mic, but she's a great addition to the women's division as far as a coach and also a wrestler to go you know, against. I would say, but uh, I think that she's had a pretty damn good year. Yeah, for my number seven, I have Jordan Grace. I think that she's had one hell of a year in Impact. She's been one of my favorite people to watch uh, since coming back and starting to watch Impact again in the female division. Um, If I had to honorable mention anyone else from their female division, which is really, really good, I would say uh, Rosemary and Sue Young are honorable mentions for me. But as far as the one person that made made my list this year, it's Jordan Grace at number seven. All right. My number six is going to be Asuka. I think she's been great. Don't get me wrong. She's had the, the belt for a very long time. Um, you know, the whole moment with her and Becky and apparently her not knowing the information of her being pregnant looked very, very genuine and nice. She was a heel. The weird stuff with the Kabuki Warriors, though, and just everything that happened within that, even though they had the titles, just strange. But the one thing, it's she's kind of just been there to me. She could have been higher up, but like I'm excited to see Asuka always, but I'm not like overly as as it comes to some of the other ladies uh, this last year watching during the uh, quote unquote COVID era. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is just simply because that female division on Raw, once they did the draft, was not that great either. So that definitely didn't help um, for her to have like a true challenger. But uh, yeah, my number, this is what, number six, I want to say? At number six, I I have Thunder Rosa. I think that she is going to be a huge deal in AEW. The matches that she's had thus far are some of the best female matches I've seen in a long time. Uh, And then I have this slash Serena Deeps. And the reason I kind of grouped them together is I haven't seen enough of them in AEW. Obviously the stuff they've done in NWA has been great, but I felt like they both kind of deserve this spot. It's a little bit of cheating, but I'm going to lump these two together. cheated! Uh, just because of the way they've came into AEW and the fact that a lot of their stuff was halted for the most part this year because NWA not having a show due to COVID. All right. My number five is Sasha Banks. Um, I think that, like I said, when it came to the audience or the lack of audience that WWE had with their main shows, Certain people did what they could with it. Street Profits, I think, did that. Uh, Drew McIntyre did that. Roman Reigns has has tried to elevate himself in this time period, obviously. But Bailey and Sasha really were on top for a while. 
They were obnoxious. They were great heels. They were the tag team champions for a long period of time, taking it from, I believe, the Kabuki Warriors originally. But they dominated all of those programs as heels. The reason why, and I'll admit, Bailey's higher on my list because I think that Bailey, we didn't think that she could actually do it. You know, Sasha's already performed as a heel and she was cocky and arrogant, so it's worked. But after that, finally having this long fucking feud break down at Hell in a Cell, and they actually had a great match. Besides some of the awkward stuff with Bailey on the outside of the ring that we still don't know what the hell was supposed to happen with those no sticks, uh, the match was great, a good ending. She finally won it, and then she actually beat the odds of what happened to her in the past by beating Carmella to retain it. And it looks like Sasha is going to have that belt probably till Mania. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think that she's got that arrogant babyface quality to her that's very heel, babyface, wherever they need her to be, um, that she's always kind of had. So my number five is Sasha Banks. My number five is Rhea Ripley. I thought the feud she had with Charlotte was great. I've loved all of her matches with Io Shirai. The only thing that keeps her this low on this list, if I'm being completely honest, is she should be on the main roster by now and be one of your top stars. Um, Either that or you need to give her the NXT title. The only thing that's like, like I said, the only thing that's like really hurting her and Io is they've already had that match so many times. It is time to move one of them. And to me, Rhea would be the person to do so because I think she has so much charisma. She's so great in the ring. Um, I think she's a well-deserved number five here. And um, I think she's also a well-served number four because she's number four for me. Rhea Ripley, everything that you said, I think that she started off just so dominant and just making it up there and making the NXT Women's Championship as big of a a deal with her and Charlotte going into WrestleMania as the other two women's championships for on SmackDown. Um, I love their match at WrestleMania. I thought it was the best actual wrestling match on both nights. Uh, I didn't like that Rhea lost. I don't like a lot of the decisions that's happening with Rhea, uh, losing to Io Shirai twice, Raquel Gonzalez once. You know, she's kind of gotten a lot, prodded at her like a lot taken away from her larger than life mystique but i still think that she has potential her like i was very surprised i thought her and bianca belair would be you know on the same level on the on uh either or smackdown and bianca i think is on that way and it seems like Rhea, who fucking held down the nxt championship even lost it but still on fucking wrestlemania against charlotte flair and just detracted a bit. So I still think she's high on the list. She's my number four. She always is someone that I want to see wrestle. I stop between the two for NXT and AEW when Rhea Ripley is wrestling. So that says a bunch. Yes. Let's see. For my number four, I had Candice LeRae. And not because I think that this has been Candice LeRae's best character, but mostly because... Every match she has is good. She never has a bad match. This is very similar to how I had AJ Styles on this list. Um, While I haven't necessarily liked what they've done with her character, she has been a part of some really, really great matches in NXT. 
hopefully they move past this real housewife staying with her and Johnny Gargano and I can enjoy her more, but she is absolutely phenomenal in the ring and is, is fun to watch when she is not that character. Wow. I cannot believe you had Candice LeRae on this list. I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. Um, it's, uh, that's probably the craziest thing I've heard. And it's not that I don't agree with you. I do, but I remember you, you count the amount of segments that Candice gets um, every NXT that we review. So, but That's not her fault as a performer. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah, that's kind of out of her hands, but as far as her in-ring work and, and overall, I think people do like her. Um, and obviously she is a big part of the show because they put her in so many damn segments. I felt like she deserved to be in this top five. All right. Well, she's on my honorable mentions and I just mentioned it. Um, but I do like Candace, uh, the, the fucking housewife shit's the thing that's killing it for me. Uh, but anyways, my number three is Thunderosa. Talking about someone that is a female wrestler that's not Tessa Blanchard, that has been on everyone's minds outside the WWE, you got to look at Thunder Rosa. Um, she came on as just, you know, the NWA Women's Champion, coming and wrestling on AEW. Uh, her match with Deeb, uh, and even the flip-flop with her giving her the title and what they're doing with that, very interesting. She's one of the best characters. She's only been in the business, like, for five years. She's that good in the ring. Um, I even like the match she had with Eva Lee, where they started actually like you know going at each other uh, because it was entertaining. Uh, but anyways, uh, I just I think that she has so much fucking potential. She's great on the mic. She's great as a person when it comes to hearing her in interviews. She seems like a really cool fucking person, and she's really good in the ring based on the amount of time that she's been in the industry. So uh, yeah, Thunder Rosa, my number three. What's your number three? My number three is Io Shirai. I think that, obviously, she's the most important person on the NXT roster. She's been their champion forever. She continues to have good matches, whoever they put her against. Um, the only reason I don't have her higher is th- the same reason I gave you for Rhea Ripley. I think it's maybe time for them to move on to the main roster or for you know that feud to kind of die down a little bit. Uh, but God, it seems like she's had that title for forever now. But Io Shirai, absolutely phenomenal in-ring performer. And uh, that's who I have at number three. Yeah, you know, and Io's actually my number two. And she could have been number one. It's kind of like why Moxley, and I mean Moxley was at number four on my fucking list, but could have been higher. I think she got a bit stagnant with having the belt as long as she did. And uh, she's been dominant. She's been awesome. She had one of the coolest spots, I, I would say, at um, the uh, the cage match, um, uh, War Games, you know, with that spot of her in the fucking t- the trash can just jumping off the top. Just, just she's crazy. She's great. But it's just something is, is not there anymore. Some, there's There needs to be someone added against her that could be a really good threat for that belt. But she's ripped through everyone on the roster. She's beaten Candace twice. She's beaten Rhea twice. She's beaten everybody. So it's weird. I don't know if this whole thing going on uh, with with Boa and and uh, Zia Lee and if this is Mako Satomura and they're going to put them against each other because I'm pretty sure they've fought back in stardom. So you could have some great matches. But Io, Io and Rhea really are ready for, I would say, 
the next, you know, adventure over on uh, Raw or SmackDown. But with EO, unlike Rhea, I'm worried what they would do with her uh, based on the past. Um, so that's that's my biggest thing. But uh, yeah, EO is my number two. And for my number two, I have Asuka. Asuka was stuck with the unfortunate task of having to take over for Becky Lynch. She's had good matches. She's had to carry the Raw women's division. It's been tough sledding for her. Um, But I think she continues to be very, very entertaining. Continues to work very, very well in the ring. And uh, like I said, I think she was just kind of handed a... Handed an unfortunate deal with the way that roster is built currently. Now with Charlotte Black um, and potentially setting up feuds with Shayna and Nia, I look forward to to what her next year is going to look like for sure. But that is who I have at my number two, Asuka. All right. Well, I'm going to make an assumption for number one. Um, and it's funny because our number one for males also comes from SmackDown. If I'm correct about this, Chris, I could be incorrect, but I'm not sure. Uh, showing, I think that SmackDown has become a really good show as of recently. And in general, this lady has turned heads as far as being this annoying fucking baby face that I got over very quickly. I'm sorry. I didn't grow up with her in NXT. I went back and watched the matches after the fact. But all I saw was these inflatable fucking things and, you know, the the, the progression of not say, saying she doesn't have a chance to be a good heel. And then her actually being one of the top heels in the company, being one of the people that I enjoyed watching during this COVID era of wrestling. Um, one, two, three. My number one is Bailey. Bailey. <laughs> there you my go. It's also Bailey. <laughs> Tell me why Bailey is your number one before I do. So she held the women's championship first off the bat for 400 days or something ridiculous. Uh, She'd basically been carrying the SmackDown division since Sasha left her high and dry. um, And they split them up and put turn Sasha or turned Bailey heel because Sasha went home. People need to remember this about Sasha Banks. She took like a three or four month hiatus right after uh, right after kind of them losing those tag belts originally. And, and that set kind of Bailey down this path of darkness and her holding the title for as long as she did. And then being a dual champion and, and being the swarmy asshole heel who's tired of living in Sasha. Ding dong! Who's there? Oh, that's what she says, always the Michael Cole, (laughs) when she berates him. (laughs) But anyway, she has been... uh, (laughs) I thought we were doing like a knock-knock joke there for a second. I'm just kidding. Um, No, she's been one of the most fun people to watch, and she's had some of the best high-profile matches uh, from any of the female performers. And uh, currently the biggest star, well, now Sasha, I'm assuming, will be the biggest star. But she was the most important person in that female division, which I thought was very weak this year overall, especially from both the main brands, most of its booking. Um, But outside of their feud, I mean, the Sasha-Bailey feud was the most important female thing on SmackDown to the point where 
I can't even tell you who else is on that roster besides Bianca Belair. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, Bailey definitely, I think, deserves number one spot. She has turned my attention to her in a positive way, which has not always been like that in the past. She's always been a good in-ring wrestler, don't get me wrong. It's just she got boring a bit as that super baby face. And when she fucking went and stabbed the inflatable guys and then went this heel direction and then got the swarmy obnoxiousness down perfectly, I would think, had Sasha to bounce off with, and then their feud, her having the belt for as long as she did, having the tag belts at the same time. She's accomplished a lot. And yes, this is a time period where Charlotte was gone, Becky was gone. But for people, to, to use that against her, I don't think that's fair. To say that she was able to, you know, kind of accumulate and be at the top still during that time period, I think that's actually something to say in a positive direction for Miss Bailey. Yeah, I have to I have to agree with you completely. Like I said, I think she made the best out of the situation that was given to her. And uh, obviously, we're not the only people that feel that way. She was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated number one female this year. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to go against that. Well, there you go. Well, I think the overall stuff is pretty much we just take, or at least I did, I just took a look at my top fives uh, for both the women's and the men's and kind of evaluated it based on there. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to give my 10 through six and then I'll let you give your 10 through six and then we'll do the top five as itself. But my top 10 is 10 is Randy Orton. Nine is Sasha Banks. Number eight is Drew McIntyre. Number seven is John Moxley. And number six is Rhea Ripley. What do you have for your 10 through six? On your t- so top I, overall, I had the hardest uh, time with this list because I think most of the male superstars I would keep them kind of where they are as far as top overall stars at the top of my list. But uh, like for instance, Naito, Koto, Ibushi, Okada—they're all off my list, and replacing them would be Bailey, Asuka, and Io. And then I would probably shuffle 10 through 6 a little bit with Adam Page or Adam Cole and, and AJ Styles. So I didn't hard set this list. And then the remaining, so it would look something like number 10 would probably be EO. Um, number 9 would be Adam Cole. Number 8 would be Asuka. Number 6 would be Bailey, I want to say. No, number seven would be Bailey, and number six would be AJ Styles, and then that would lead you back to my top ten, the the male performers, which was five Kenny Omega, four Randy Orton, three Cody Rhodes, two John Moxley, and one Roman Reigns. Those those top five would be hard to move just because they were the big piece of the main event in their respective companies. Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, my top five, though, and I'll just I'll just state them out. Uh, number five is Io Shirai. Number four is Kenny Omega. Number three is Bailey. Number two is Cody, and still number one, Roman Reigns. Yeah, there was nothing that was going to knock Roman. There would have to be some crazy thing happen in the women's division to knock Roman off number one. Yeah, absolutely. But, hey, guys, that is our best of this last year. 
And um, I, I think that we had some great lists, man. What, what do you think? What, you just made a list. We had closer lists than we have years apart or before. So that's kind of interesting. I think maybe maybe that is because the wrestling we watched was more similar this year. Um, just due to COVID, but our lists were uh, not as far apart as they normally are. <laughs> copying you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You had a drone come over to my place and watch me as I made my list. Um, uh, it's Vanguard 2.0 or 2.1. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, before we go, and I hope you guys enjoyed our list, um, you know, just if you want to discuss it, you can find me on Facebook at Dane Alves, D-A-N-E-A-L, V as in Victor, yes, Alves, or Dane Alves 42 on Twitter. Chris, go ahead and just give your handles if people want to discuss the list situation with you on social media. Sure. You can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Um, there will be a new episode of Skates the Throats coming this week, so if you're a hockey oh. fan... Look up Skates to Threads. Season starts back in a couple weeks. And then, uh, Dana, did you want to talk about Mr. Brody Lee before we head out? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to give out. I, I hate to end things in a negative note. I wish I would have remembered this at the beginning. Um, but we definitely need to wrap up talking about this. Uh, with with Raw and SmackDown, all the wrestling this last week, a lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff didn't happen. So that's why we basically didn't go over it. Um but, uh, yeah, the main big thing that happened, I started out, I believe it was, was it Saturday or Sunday, Chris, that this happened, Sunday night or Saturday night? Well, I think that it started on Christmas Day, right, which would have been Friday, but we would have found out Saturday. I'm trying to remember when Danny Hodge passed away, because that, that's where it started. I woke up and found out that an excellent legend in professional wrestling, boxing, uh, amateur wrestling... Uh, basically kind of a godfather to MMA, Danny Hodge had passed away. Uh, he was ex- way older. Uh, he has some great matches you guys can check out, uh, more contest-looking matches, if you will, because of his style. Um, but you can find stuff with him in Luthez, and you can find stuff with him in several wrestlers from back in the day on YouTube. A lot of them are in black and white, but get the fuck over it and watch some great stuff. Uh, he was an Olympian. He was a Golden Gloves uh, uh, boxing champion. Uh, he was for the state of Oklahoma. He had basically the merit in amateur wrestling in college. You know, their Heisman is the Dan Hodge Award. So he's that level when it comes to amateur wrestling, an All-American uh, and a pro wrestling legend, uh, could crush apples with his hand. And the man wasn't tall. He was a cruiserweight. Uh, in, in size when it comes to height and, and weight, if you were to, you know, modern equate that, but really badass dude. And I would definitely check him, uh, recommend checking out some stories and uh, some of the old matches back in the forties and fifties that he had. But the main thing that happened uh, is that we found out the main reason actually that, that uh, Mr. Brody Lee, uh, John, had not been at W or not WW, I'm sorry, AEW as of recently. You know, uh, Birdie lost the TNT title in a strap match against Cody and was taken off. And, you know, at first, apparently it was just he was taken off to 
give some time before he came back. But during that time period, a um, non-COVID related lung issue uh, arose with him. And, uh, you know, Tony Khan, with his money, put him in the Mayo Clinic, uh, which one of the top hospitals in their area, especially, you know, just treating him specifically. And his health apparently went up and then went very down very quickly. Um, and just a sad day in wrestling, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's weird and awkward to compare deaths, but Brian Alvarez, you know, based on everyone online and, and the outpour from WWE to AEW to impact just to wrestlers and from the older wrestlers that saw him and knew him and met him a couple times, even them just saying polite things about him and how, how great of a guy he was and how he was such a family man and the Joker. And, you know, we had this thing of like, you know what day it is? It's blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, it was his little shtick with the wrestlers. Um, Brian Alvarez said that, that when it came to the, in the industry, he hasn't seen this much outpour for a wrestler since Eddie Guerrero had passed away for this modern generation. And, um, I don't know really one way or the other how I, I, I feel about that statement, but he's going to be missed. Uh, just a lot of the stuff that people had said between Cassius Ono and, and, um, and CM Punk. And uh, one thing that was nice is that Punk's next two months on Pro Wrestling Tees, and apparently they're designing something new. Um, all the proceeds are going to go towards Brody Lee's family, um, which obviously he didn't have to do. But uh, the big ones, Bray Wyatt's, made me tear up calling him as Terry Gordy and how they were supposed to be old men, you know, working at gymnasiums in the future, trying to pretend to be the Wyatt family again. And, uh, just a lot of wrestlers that were good, good friends with them that loved Brody Lee and the biggest sentiment, the biggest thing that came from all of it was the knowledge that he was a great father, that he loved his kids um, his two sons and he loved his wife more than anything. And, uh, that's the thing that drove him the most His number one was family. His number two was wrestling. Um, for wrestling, I would recommend in the WWE, um, his match with Dolph Ziggler ladder match at, I think it's TLC for the intercontinental title is one of the best ladder matches, especially not having to do a bunch of crazy shit. Uh, kind of more harpening back to Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, actually. Uh, just a great fucking saw ladder match. Their follow-up match for the IC title. Uh, he had some great matches with Dean Ambrose back then. I think one was at Extreme Rules. I watched a lot of them. The network is is uh, had a whole section of them. His match with uh, Jonathan Dijakovic at Worlds Collide was awesome. Um, great match. Uh, the match with the Wyatt family originally against the Shield, great match, and a lot of stuff he did in AEW. Um, you know, his two matches with Cody, one being um, the match where he just dominated Cody and won the TNT title, and the strap match, awesome strap match between the two of them. His match with Moxley for the title was was great. There's a lot of great stuff you guys can find out there. And that's one thing I will say that I appreciate is that you know, sometimes I expect WWE to kind of like, when a situation like this happens, is them ignore a superstar, especially one that didn't make it in high ranks, even if it was their fault. Uh, because WWE 
apparently on their end, you know, Brody asked for his release. They finally gave it like fucking six months later and allowed him to, you know, depart with the company. But they they always wanted him for something. They just had nothing for him is basically how he made it sound like, which sucks. And uh, but WWE, they made mention about this. They didn't lie about this or try to, like, pretend it didn't happen. They had a little thing that came up at the beginning of Raw last night, which was nice. I'm sure a lot of the wrestlers would have wished to have some type of something or, you know, but they kind of, you know, made jokes and references to him throughout the night. Um, Just a lot of positive stuff said about him. Uh, And also, if you want an older match, I watched an awesome cage match with him and Cesaro from way back in the day that was fucking amazing. You can find some stuff, but you'll never replace the person. Way too fucking young. 41 years old. I mean, Bray Wyatt calling him his, uh, his Terry Gordy. Terry passed away, I think, at 40, 41 with a huge family as well. So it's kind of sad in comparison as well. But just he will be really missed. It sucks that it finally seemed like he was putting on some of his best matches and really, you know, building himself as a character. I love the comedy stuff with BTE. They have an awesome BTE tribute of like behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, some of the guys that he took under his wing that were in there, like John Silver. John Silver was proposed from Tony Khan. This is how he proposed it. He says, I want you to be Raven and John Silver to be your um, Stevie, uh, Stephen Richards in that type of scenario. And that's how they built off that type of relationship. But, just all the good words. It just fucking sucks. Way too young. And the biggest thing, he left a wife and two sons. And I'm, I hope I don't start crying from talking about this. But AEW was really nice because I knew that it was dire and it was only a matter of time. Um, about a week and a half ago, they uh, videotaped his son Brody um, calling out Kenny Omega and having a quote-unquote match with Kenny and winning the AEW championship. Now, obviously, that's not going to be actually real. It was for a tape for him to see, um, essentially, on his deathbed. But uh, AEW is really good, man. What they've done is above and beyond, paying for everything. And, uh, yeah, the day right after all this happens, JR and Tony Khan are taking uh, his son Brody to the Jacksonville Jaguar game to try to keep his mind off of stuff. So... Just right after Christmas. Fucking awful. Fucking brutal story. I'm at a loss of words when it comes down to it. And I guess after seeing all the moments and watching his matches and just feeling kind of terrible about this, that's how I somehow forgot to bring this up at the beginning. And I hate talking about something this negative at the end, but this is life. And, uh, Unfortunately, things like this happen. Chris? Yeah, it's going to be hard for me to follow uh, what you just laid out because I pretty much feel the same way. Obviously, very tragic. Um, from all accounts, Brody Lee seemed like a great guy, a wonderful performer. Some of the matches you named would be the ones that I would uh, also suggest. Specifically, I believe it is that FCW cage match with Cesaro. Um, that's definitely one that would be high on my list of 
of things to go back and watch. Uh, I haven't, I haven't brought myself to sit down and watch because it's so fresh, you know, to some extent, um, and out of nowhere. I mean, this isn't a guy that I thought would be passing away anytime soon. And obviously a big effect on the entire wrestling community. And I just want to send warm, well, like well wishes and, and good vibes to all of his friends and family. And, uh, he will definitely be missed by me. I know. Um, I was a huge Brody Lee fan. Sucks we never got to the level that we thought we were going to get him at, but uh, he did leave a mark on the industry and into wrestling fans alike. So all that being said, that's that's all I really have to say on it. Very tragic. And uh, hopefully we don't lose any more people <laughs> in the next. Give us like a, a eight-month hiatus world. At least. Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, I mean, it's just crazy because it doesn't even, it hasn't even stopped on, on Twitter. You go through it and there's still more people mentioning and, and talking about, you know, Brody and how much they they loved him. And it's, uh, it's overwhelming. Um, just like kudos to to WWE for acknowledging that. And that sounds kind of stupid, but I thought that was pretty big of them because I didn't expect them to fucking say anything or, you know, do anything on their show, and I'm glad that they actually had the balls to be decent. Um, and also AEW for doing everything they did uh, for this. It's just uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, and... and- you know, we're not trying to take a shot at WWE, but they haven't always handled stuff like this uh, nope. this well, especially when it comes with someone that kind of left under the circumstances of, of Brody Lee. So it was nice to see them take the high road and do the right thing, as opposed to just not even mentioning it, which was what I, I kind of thought they might do. Uh, but obviously with Triple H coming out on Twitter and a, a few other... I mean, other wrestlers from WWE. That was a uh, that was nice to see as well. Yep. I was trying to find my last um, statement was towards a certain outlet for posting some of the shit they posted, but the motherfuckers. I'm happy I can't find his name because it's been all over Twitter, and this this ass jack decided to try to make himself famous, calling out this shit. So. Um, Probably for the better, because I probably would have fucking cut a promo on his indecent fucking apparent reporter ass. <sighs> what are you going to do? But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I guess the storyline is so much minor than the, the, the severity of everything. I don't know what's going to happen to the Dark Order. Dustin was really close with, with, uh, I was about to say Luke Harper, but with Brody Lee, John Huber. Um, so maybe given the circumstances, They'll try to go in a different direction. I just, his family, his his children and his wife, his his whole entire family, everyone having to deal with this, and all of his close close friends within the industry that are on Raw, SmackDown, um, AEW, NXT, Impact, Ring of Honor. So many people knew him. So many different industries. All of them say good things. And uh, rest in peace, big man. Um. I guess we'll give the 10 second salute.
Rest in peace, Birdie Lee, a.k.a. Luke Copper, a.k.a. John Huber. And rest in peace, Danny Hodge. Ugh, man. That one, that one took it out of me a bit, man. Yeah, understandable. But we've come to a close. So we as have. always, <laughs> peace out and let the geek vibes be with you. <laughs>